in Palmetto, Florida. It's time for WCW Monday Nitro. We are red hot and we are live, kicking off two full hours of the best in world championship wrestling, along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco, and a capacity crowd on hand, I am Tony Schiavone. As we start our countdown to fall brawl, we have some tremendous action, the bell sounds, and here we are. We're gonna start out with some youngsters in the ring. Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, is my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantor. Dave, how are you doing this week? Well, I am about $1,000 lighter now after I brought my car in for repairs. Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> but, um, no, I, there was some issue. It was, like, with the brakes, too. Yeah. So something that had to be fixed. Right. Need those. Yes, absolutely. But now everything's fixed, and I can fully engage on the road to Foul Brawl. <laughs> the match beyond. I like how they always say the match beyond, but it's like, beyond yeah. what? That's a good point. Beyond, uh, beyond, beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm in a good mood today because you and I, uh, literally right before we turned on the microphones, you and I just watched uh, Daniel Bryan's little segment he had with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Mm -hmm. By the time everyone's listening to this, the, uh, that will you know people will be well aware of what we're talking about. Uh, so it started off SmackDown announcing that he was returned, that he's been cleared. That news broke on Twitter earlier today. And uh, we just saw, you know, some evidence that he is indeed fully cleared for physical action. And so uh, as as uh, someone who that's that's my favorite uh, current day wrestler, mm -hmm. or at least he was and then he wasn't for two years and now he is again. Right. Uh, just seeing him come back fills me with joy. It makes me actually want to watch the current product. So I'm just pleased as punch. That makes me so happy. And, and just for him, he seems like. Uh, in a business full of, of not necessarily the best guys. He just seems like such a great person that you want good things to happen to this guy. Even if you don't know him, even if he's rich and successful and has a hot wife, you're like, I still just happy that good things are happening to him because he seems like he genuinely deserves them. Yeah. And I mean, I'll always have my own opinion about like uh, whether he should be back in the ring or not. Um, sure. But it's really... I'm happy that he's doing what he wants to do. Right. If he makes the decision he wants to wrestle again, I, I, I hope like the best of luck to him. I mean, I just, you know, I have a little bit of skepticism as far as like the timing is concerned, but sure. I mean, this is obviously not a podcast about that. Cause yeah. we could talk about that for a long time, but well, I'll just say, you know, um, maybe, you know, I could see being concerned about him being clear and whether or not that was, was something that they did that they should have done medically or that it was just for WrestleMania. Either way, mm -hmm. by the end of this year, he was wrestling. And I'd rather have him doing that in WWE that works a relatively safe style than in Mexico, or, or excuse me, in Japan, mm -hmm. where, like, you work through concussions, you get thrown on your head constantly. I mean, he was going to end up in New Japan at, you know, the way that things were currently going. And so I, I'm actually pleased to see him cleared by WWE because I think that will be yeah. a safer home. He was determined to wrestle, and if he's going to do it, I'm glad it's in 
WWE. No, I agree because like the the Daniel Bryan version in New Japan, Shibata, yeah, like basically, oh god, he split his brain in half, right? Pretty much. So yeah, no, I agree. If he's gonna be wrestling anywhere, he isn't. That's the safest place to be is in the WWE. I mean, even more so than like even in the Indies because like there's not gonna be a lot of people that are there to supervise him. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, before we jump in our time machine and head back to 1996, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro, or you can follow Dave at Dave Amontorp. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro, and you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is August 26, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Manatee Civic Center in Palmetto, Florida, in front of somewhere around 1,300 fans, uh, a legit sellout of this tiny, tiny building, mm -hmm. for a total gate of $20,600. This is a unique venue. We don't see them running real small shows like this. They do a decent job of making it look a little bigger than that on TV, but it's, it's still obviously very small. But for the fans, what a treat. I mean, you got, you've got big names on this show, and there is... I mean, every seat in the house is a great seat. Yeah, and I think it it looks a lot better personally on TV that if the arena is a little bit smaller, but it's full. Yes, you know, it it just kind of there's a and just this added element of having uh like the maximum capacity and the maximum amount of sound you can get from the audience. Right. This. And and I think you you really you can see that for good and for bad throughout this show. This is the 50th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we continue our build towards Fall Brawl and the big War Games match between Sting, Lex Luger, Ric Flair, and Arn Anderson versus Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan, and potentially a fourth member of their new world order. Mm -hmm. With that out of the way, let's move on to tonight's live unopposed broadcast as Raw is off the air tonight due to the U.S. Open being broadcast on the USA Network. Tony welcomes us to the show, and Pyro explodes, and the bell rings as we've already got two men in the ring. Tony describes them as two youngsters looking to become the Cruiserweight Champion. One of them is Billy Kidman, who we've seen a handful of times, and the other is a masked newcomer in purple tights over a black singlet. His mask is purple with pinkish red and some silver and orange trim and silver eyes. He's a man that most Nitro fans will be familiar with. He is Juventud Guerrera. Real name, Eduardo Anibals Gonzalez Hernandez, and he is just 21 years old. Uh, and I think Kidman is around that age as well. Mm -hmm. uh, two very, very young guys. He is the son of Luchador Fuerza Guerrera. Born in Mexico City, Juventud trained from an early age, much like Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio, guys that have been doing this essentially since they were teenagers. Uh, and the name Juventud Guerrero, Guerrera, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to be like Tony and do that probably a thousand times. That's fine. The name Juventud Guerrera is Spanish for warrior youth, which is a connection to his father, whose name translates to warrior strength. Hmm. Juventud has wrestled since he was a teenager, appearing for AAA since 1993. He and Rey Mysterio had a lengthy feud there over the welterweight championship, which they traded back and forth numerous times. He also worked in, Cono in Conan's promo Azteca promotion in Mexico, uh, he made his American debut in ECW earlier this year, where he uh, had three matches against Rey Mysterio that were very uh, highly thought of. And he just returned from his Japanese debut, where he wrestled Rey in the uh, WAR promotion. So this is somebody with a lot of familiarity with Myster uh, Mysterio, with Conan, with some of the luchadors that WCW has been bringing in lately. Yeah, and I feel like that his um, his 
stint in ECW is pretty easily forgotten because it's only a couple of matches. Right. And, and when you think about the guys that came from uh, uh, ECW, it's more like Mysterio, Guerrero, and Malenko. But no, Juventud had, his, uh, had a little bit of a stop there. Larry puts Hoovy over, saying that I, they don't call him Hoovy yet. I'm just jumping ahead because it's easier than saying Hooventude all the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> perfectly fine. Larry puts Hoovy over, saying that he's excited to see him, and he's heard that he's an athlete extraordinaire. Tony tells us a little about Hoovy's family ties to the business, and for the first time, but certainly not the last, incorrectly refers to him as Guerrero, which Larry is unsurprisingly quick to correct. <laughs> I guess it's surprising in one way that Larry would be listening for the names of Hispanic guys instead mm. of just being like, ah, tacos, you know. But, right, yeah. <laughs> but the chance to correct another human being will never pass Larry by. <laughs> and and to be honest, like, him mixing this up, I, di I didn't even notice it. I mean, because, like, the names are so similar. Oh, sure. The two men lock up and Hoovy gets a shoulder tackle. Kidman gets back up and leapfrogs Guerrera, then catches him with a power slam for two. Hoovy rests against the ropes, and Kidman plows into him with a flying crossbody that takes both men over the ropes, tumbling them to the outside. On the apron, both men exchange chops and kicks until Guerrero hops on Kidman's shoulders and then clumsily turns around for what at first seems like it might be a Rana back into the ring until Hoovy flips down to the floor, and it ends up being a sunset flip powerbomb to the outside. Very awkward setup, but a very satisfying smack is the result as Kidman takes the bump about as perfectly as you can mm. you know it looks very safe but it makes just a very satisfying whack noise <laughs> kidman rises in pain on the floor and guerrera keeps him down with a slingshot guillotine leg drop he rolls kidman back into the ring and then hits him with an impressive slingshot corkscrew splash for two he just launches himself you know slingshot style over the top rope and then gets about like two and a half rotations before splashing down on kidman it looks awesome yeah, this is and this is what I remember from Juventud Guerrera back in the day because Rey Mysterio Jr. does a lot of great like aerial moves, but yeah. Juventud is like this next level as far as just like athleticism or acrobatics. Yeah, yeah he could, I mean, because he's like the first that I can remember. Well, I mean, that does like the four fifty splash. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I'd say that he's similar to he's like a better or more impressive Sabu in that he'll do like some insane moves where you're just like that's amazing mm -hmm. but like a third of the time he just fucks it up so like yeah you can never say like oh hoovy's one of the greatest workers on the planet because you're like well he botches all the time mm -hmm. but when he hits these things they just look incredible and make up for all the stuff that sucks yeah so he's like a not broken down sabu yeah <laughs> yes Hoovy riles up the crowd and gets mostly booze, which is weird as he hasn't done anything remotely heelish, and his offense is all high-flying, crowd-pleasing stuff. I think it's just a reflection of, like, Kidman is just this clean-cut white kid right. in front of a bunch of white Florida fans, and here's a guy from Mexico, so by default, Kidman is the babyface. Yep. Instead of just recognizing that they're both babyfaces. No need to boo either guy. They're, they're <laughs> both fine, everybody. Kidman uses a scoop slam to position Guerrero for a slingshot leg drop for two. Kidman blocks an attempt at a vertical suplex and hits one of his own, as Tony tells us that an apparently planned Conan psychosis match for the Mexican heavyweight championship that was planned for Fall Brawl has been changed to Conan versus Guerrero instead, as psychosis is currently out with an injury. Uh, it is a legit injury, and I forget what it is. I want to say it's something with his arm. Okay. Uh, and he's not out for too long, I don't believe. Meanwhile, Hoovy kicks out of another two. 
Kidman slams Uvi again and signals for the Shooting Star Press. He hits it, despite Larry banging on him for taking too long to get to the top rope, but Uvi kicks out at two. Mm-hmm. He kicks out of a Shooting Star Press. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that caught me by surprise <laughs> yes. as well. Kidman heads back up to try again, but Uvi gets up and heads to the top rope and hits a Hurricanrana, hilariously overpronounced by Tony Schiavone. He's like... Ah, you know what? That is Larry. It's a Urkarana. Right. <laughs> and he's just really pleased with himself. For You can tell he spent all day backstage with Tanae trying to learn what the word was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I was also going to say, as far as Kidman's concerned, yeah. like after he kicked out of that 450 and he's going back up to the top. Out of the Shooting Star Press. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Shooting Star Press. Yeah. Um, There's like this point where he's just like, I'm going up here, but I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Like he pauses for a moment. And it's it's sort of like, you know, they had this plan where he's kicking out his move, but when right. it actually happens, it kind of like breaks him a little bit. <laughs> like, like, he does. what can I do? That's my <laughs> top move. Uh, the top rope hurricanrana from Hoovy that I just mentioned, that was enough to seal the victory at about four and a half minutes. Tell you what, they love him, Tony says of the crowd that is mostly booing and yelling <laughs> at Carrera. <laughs> Uh, I thought the match was a hot opener. Um, it was a little short at four and a half minutes, but the crowd is really into the high spots. It was definitely maybe a stereotypical cruiserweight match uh, or sure. luchador match where there's no psychology. Mm-hmm. They are hitting just huge moves and then no selling it and running to the next spot. Right. But I think those matches have a place and opening a show is usually a fine place for them. Right. Uh, so, you know, there it, there were some parts that were a little sloppy. I don't think anyone should be shoot- kicking out of a shooting star press, especially in 1996. Yeah. Like, this isn't 2018 PWG, you know? Mm, right. <laughs> no, I mean, c- yeah, because the, the move's not, like, hasn't been mainstreamed very long. Right. So it seems like that should be, like, a be-all, end-all sort of move. Kidman but. is the only guy in WCW or WWF who hits that move mm-hmm. as of this point. It should be something special. So I don't know whose idea that was, but somebody along the way should have been like, not do that i mean i could all i mean at the time i also thought that uh maybe kimmon thought he was gonna move but then he just didn't maybe and then he's like well i mean i guess i should cover him so i i I don't know but i've said before as far as like the opening matches are concerned either have like a high fly match or like the big men tag team match yeah yeah agreed i'm a i'm a big fan of this being the first match not a super big fan of like the the super jobber entrance that they got right (laughs) yes we will see that a few other times on the show because this show is fucking stuffed to the gills with stuff. Yes, it is. <laughs> with stuff. <laughs> it's stuffed with stuff. That's why I have a job talking to people. <laughs> this is, I just described this as my job. That's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Tony again makes a real meal out of Hurricanrana, and Larry says, how about the flying fajita? He Dang. almost made it through the whole thing without any racism. So close. Yeah. The slow motion replay of the corkscrew splash uh, makes it look even more amazing when you see it in slow motion. Tony then tosses things over to Mean Gene, who is in the ring with your winner. Thank you very much, Tony Giovanni. This young gentleman, just let me give you very quickly a little bit of his background. He's one of the great superstars from south of the border, and he has come to join fame and fortune here at World Championship Wrestling. You know about the injury to psychosis. Now you're going to be facing Conan. And I know you're not real adept in English, but let's try it. Uh, I don't, uh, uh, no comprende espanol, amigo, but uh, you go right ahead. You have uh, Conan at a shot at that Mexican title. 
That's right. That's right. Psicosis no está aquí. Because Conan broken tu brazo. Pero yo estoy aquí para demostrarles que soy el mejor luchador de México. Y ahorita se los demostré. Y próximamente. Are you getting a little, uh, little... I am the best wrestler Mexican. All right, uh, obviously he has a very... Uh, yes. But I want to tell you one more thing. What one more thing? In Mexico, all the people know the organization New World Order. In all Mexico, in all Mexico, is scared. Have a scare, but don't have to. You're gonna have to give it a rest, pal. You can take this up with uh, somebody else. I'm, I'm sorry, I have a tough time. Tony, let's take her back to you, pal. Gene tells us that Guerrera is a big star in Mexico trying to make a name for himself in WCW. He says he knows Juvi isn't real adept at English, and Gene doesn't caprende espanol, hmm. but he asks him about the upcoming match with Conan. God bless him, Guerrera tries to spit out a few English words, but his adrenaline is up and he is gasping for air, so he just bails on English and starts yelling in Spanish. Yeah. This is not a popular choice with the Florida fans. <laughs> really? <laughs> in response to their booze, Juventud shouts, I am the best wrestler in Mexican. <laughs> Gene tries to speak, but Juvi interrupts him, and somehow his English is, like, very briefly much better. <laughs> He says that he wants to say one more thing. In Mexico, everybody knows about the organization called the New World Order, and all of Mexico is scared. I'm scared, says Guerrera, but don't have to... And then he starts trailing off and just looking around, and Gene, just sensing the wind is coming out of his sails, yeah. jumps in and very rudely goes, you're going to have to give it a rest, pal, and take it up with someone else. <laughs> Gene is just like fuck this, this guy can't speak English, I'm done. Right. Uh, it's not Gene's best moment. It's definitely, you know, Gene has a reputation of making things all about himself, especially, I think, towards the end of WCW. He, you know, along with Heenan, kind of stopped caring. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think Gene has been great. Um, you know, I gave him the MVP award last week. I do think he's starting, uh, and God, on this show, we see, I, I think he's on the shows too much. And I think he does a little too much to, like, make it about him and his funny quips and stuff. Sure. Uh, but just cutting a guy off. I don't know whose idea was to stick Gene out there with a guy who doesn't speak English. That was it, fucked up. It was, it was a really poor plan from the beginning. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I could kind of, in Gene's defense, seeing that, like, oh, this is a disaster from the right. start. I need to do whatever I can just to move along. Right. But, but then Guerrera, you know... He knows, like, it's, he's not going to get, like, mic time very often. So right. he's trying to recover. Gene's trying to indicate that maybe we should move on. So it, it is a, a complete clusterfuck. And why why the fuck would they make him talk about the NWO? Like, okay, you don't have a firm grasp of this language. Don't even just say, I'm a great wrestler. I'm going to win the Mexican title. Conan, I'm coming for you. Right. He's got to go up there and, like, spin this complicated yarn of like the mexican awareness of the new world order right. it's stupid tony throws its commercial where our blood ran cold and uh this one had glacier doing martial arts in front of like some ruins which we've seen before mm -hmm. but i think this one was different because this time he had a bow staff yeah uh which i don't remember seeing before although usually when that music plays i just kind of tune out now 
Uh, and he also was wearing a dumb hat during some parts <laughs> I have in my notes. I don't know how to describe it. but A dumb hat. Yeah, he just had a stupid hat on it <laughs> at a few different points. When we come back, Tony and Larry recap the main event segment from last week that set up the Fall Brawl War Games match. Larry says that trust is an easy word to say, but a hard thing to do. Larry puts over the horseman's expertise with War Games, and we see a replay of last week's events. After this, Larry gets very, very Larry, as he tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of the five orders that would rule the history of mankind. The Babylonians, the Persians, Alexander the Great, the Romans, and the Empire yet to come. Larry says if the baby faces can't find the ability to trust each other, that fifth empire will be the New World Order. And since this is mid-90s, I always yeah. think that, like, right before the show that he goes on to Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, what's the thing that he learned this week? How can I implement that? Uh, well, this, this would be an allusion to the second chapter of the biblical book of Daniel. <laughs> in, it, in it, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a gigantic statue made of four metals that is destroyed by a large stone that becomes a mountain that fills the entire world. Now, there's some disagreement over the four kingdoms the statue represents, but Larry is generally accurate about being the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Romans. Uh, for whatever reason, he says Alexander the Great instead of just the Greeks, mm. uh, but it's the Greeks. He's, he's more or less still on point. Right. However, the fifth kingdom, the mountain that smashes the kingdoms of men and becomes the entire world, uh, all biblical scholars agree that's supposed to be the kingdom of God, which is what Daniel interprets it as to King Nebuchadnezzar, who says, oh, you can interpret dreams. Great. You're going to be my right-hand man. That that makes a lot more sense than, yeah. than just like uh, something. Yeah, the kingdom of God seems more likely than the kingdom of Hulk Hogan. Right. <laughs> now, did I do 15 minutes of Bible study in order to nitpick a weird thing Larry Zbysko said over 20 years ago? Arguably. Yes. <laughs> if you're surprised by that, this is probably the first episode you've listened to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Tony says that tonight we're going to see last week's aborted main event with Sting and Luger taking on Benoit and McMichael. Why the fuck would that be happening? Uh, we, we sort of learned throughout the episode that McMichael and Benoit, it's presented one of two ways. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes presented as a gut check, as a challenge that they're making to make sure Sting and Lex really deserve those spots in the War Games match. But Benoit and McMichael have a promo where they basically say, like, they changed their mind and they just want to be in the match and they want to beat Sting and Luger to prove that it should be their spots. It just seems like lousy storytelling, especially when they don't even agree on what the story is. Right. Uh, it's I, I kind of stupid, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of thought of it as, like, they want to show that, like, the spots they gave up, they were worthy of those spots. Okay. Um, but they, I mean, they never presented it that right. way. But, like, since, you know, there's, like, a M Mongo and Benoit promo, I really tuned out there. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of came up with my own storyline. <laughs> it's just, they're, they're being stupid if they're going to, like, go into a match and try to beat up the guys who are going to be watching Flair and Arn's back in war games. Like, right. You want those guys to be fresh as daisies. You should go in that ring and lie down and let them just pin you and be like, <laughs> and then point at your brains because that's how smart you're being. <laughs> the American Males theme plays, and out comes Marcus Bagwell and Jim Powers along with Teddy Long. Dave Penzer announces that the injured Scotty Riggs is with them, but he's not. That's right. just a thing Dave Penzer says that is not true. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, it's weird for the announcer to say, accompanied by the injured Scotty Riggs. Yeah. Um, 
So then I was watching for yeah. Scotty Riggs, right. and I did not see a Scotty Riggs. Yeah, it's very strange. He he is injured. He's out for just a few weeks. It's a minor thing. but uh, So Buff is teaming with Powers for tonight. Out next is Kevin Sullivan and Big Bubba, representing the Dungeon of Doom and accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Sullivan has thankfully ditched the jeans and uh, torn t-shirt that he's worn in the last couple shows. And now he has a black robe with purple trim, and underneath he's got black trunks and purple boots. I guess he's just adopting the Undertaker's colors now, because he's like, I'm the evil character here, so I'm just going to get your evil character's stuff. I don't know. I, I liked it last week when he was more covered. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. When he came I up, don't I like was the like, jeans oh. and a t-shirt look, but it is nice to see less of Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> right. That's a good point. We even get a little split screen action, putting over the Taskmaster's Tree of Woe knee charges and double foot stomp finisher. For some reason, before the match starts, they just, he's walking to the aisle and they go to split screen and they're like, look at him do the same move eight times. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. I, it's, I, they don't do th stuff like that normally. Right. So it, it really stands out as an odd choice. Yeah. Except then when you think about who is usually booking this stuff. That's very true. <laughs> Sullivan. I do, I do exactly why they showed that. <laughs> Sullivan climbs the ropes in a corner and gets a surprisingly boisterous reaction from the crowd. Now here to call all the action is our own Taskmaster, mm. Dave Amantorp. All right. Well, and I, I tend to just call him Kevin Sullivan because WCW refers to him as Taskmaster, calls him Kevin Sullivan. They don't really pick a side. Right. I generally just call him Kevin Sullivan. Sure. So, he immediately attacks Jim Powers and throws him outside as the bell rings. Although, I want to note this is through the ropes and not over the top, so there wasn't a disqualification. Right. This plan immediately backfires, though. As Sullivan goes out, Powers unloads with punches before not only slamming Kevin Sullivan's head onto the ring apron, but also the guardrail. Back in the ring, Jim Powers hits a medium-sized back body drop and a drop kick. Big Bubba tries to intervene only to receive a dropkick of his own, courtesy of Marcus Alexander Bagwell. For a moment, the Dungeon of Doom get the upper hand, but the new American males retaliate, sending their opponents scurrying to the outside. After the Dungeon regroups and returns to the ring, we get Sullivan against Marcus in a collar and elbow tie-up. Bagwell punches away on both Sullivan and Bubba, uh, who gets tagged in during this assault. Now, I wanted to note that Big Bubba looks especially intimidating tonight in his WCW Monday Nitro t-shirt. <laughs> and also that his leather pants are still tucked in on the right side. A sure indication these are the same pair that were torn way back on the July 8th edition of Monday Nitro. And I want to note that it is still gross. We've talked about, uh, in fact, I know we have, about how um, Kevin Sullivan has said a few times that Bischoff was trying to get uh, Bubba to quit. That's why he kept, like, jobbing to Tenta and stuff. I don't remember that. Yeah, supposedly he was unhappy with his contract because of how much he was paying him, and B, because he thought that Bubba would have the rights to the big boss man character, but then he didn't. Oh. So then he just he just held it against him and just kind of never pushed him the way that he should. But <laughs> Bubba just was, like, happy to get a check and didn't really give a shit. So, like, he didn't mind. Lo he was like, I'll lose it, John Tenta. Like, my check's still clearing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... When it comes to the rights of the big boss man, yeah. don't you think he could have figured that out before he signed him? Shouldn't have been that hard. Shouldn't really should not have been. After a brief exchange of poses from the two, they lock up again, with Bagwell eventually getting the upper hand after he comes off the ropes, leaps onto Bubba's shoulders, and pounds him down to the mat. 
Bagwell then goes for the, to the well a second time, but Big Bubba counters with a powerbomb. Bubba then places Bagwell into the Tree of Woe before tagging in Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan delivers his running knee and then just tags right back out again. All right, so we got that covered. <laughs> Bubba drops Marcus with a shoulder block, but misses with a follow-up splash. Bubba blocks Bagwell's attempt to at a tag by hoisting him up for an atomic drop, but Bagwell flips through, runs underneath Bubba's legs, and then gets the hot tag. Now, I say hot tag, but the fans don't react like it's a hot tag. Yeah. They don't really react at all, actually. I mean, God bless him, but who's that excited to see Jim Powers jump exactly. into the match? Yeah. Powers immediately introduces Bubba to the top turnbuckle ten times, which had to be at least nine more times than Bubba preferred. After leveling Bubba with a furious knee lift, Kevin Sullivan enters the ring to tell Powers that he has not yet made the acquaintance of the top turnbuckle. <laughs> Powers rectifies the situation another 10 times. Jimmy Hart feels like he was missing out on the swing turnbuckle action, so Powers adds him to the equation. Give me that turnbuckle, baby. <laughs> right, sweet turnbuckle. That's my Jimmy action. Hart impression. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jimmy Hart. It's me, Jimmy Hart, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the mouth of the South. <laughs> you know what? Come the mouth. <laughs> I don't want to hear where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Powers hits a cross body block on Bubba and gets the three count. Or does he? In fact, it appeared Bubba got his shoulder up before the three. Nick Patrick realizes his error immediately and indicates that the match continues. Tony Giovanni says that he's restarting the match, which to me, tomato, tomato, whatever. Sullivan and Bubba attack the celebrating Bagwell and Powers. After Sullivan tossed Bagwell to the outside, Bubba hit the sidewalk slam on Jim Powers for the three count. At this point, they do show a replay of the pinfall in which Bubba is clearly pinned for three. His shoulder comes up after the three. It's like, there's just no doubt about it. During during the action, it was a little bit questionable. Yeah. But when you see the replay, it's just like, nope, that's a fuck up. Yeah. It's, uh, they're just, they're trying to do more shit with um, Nick Patrick. Mm -hmm. But this one does not work nearly as well as some of the other ones because this is just like, no, that's a bad call. It makes no sense. Like, the other right. ones were like, well, usually we're on Patrick's side. I guess. It's not that the other ones are that good. It's just you're on Patrick's side. Mm -hmm. This one is like, no, Nick Patrick had no business right. letting that match continue. It was yeah. bizarre. Yeah. The confused crowd boos the new result, and Patrick bails from the ring where he's confronted by an angry Teddy Long. The heels celebrate in the ring as babyfaces take it up with Patrick, and we see replays of these shenanigans. Of the recent Patrick controversies, this one is pretty weak, as there was no legitimate reason for Patrick to keep this going. Uh, the match itself was okay, nothing special. Mm -hmm. They're continuing to just make sure the Dungeon of Doom get meaningless wins on Nitro occasionally, so you don't think that they're complete joke mm -hmm. when they job to everyone who actually matters. And, and I mean, I also like the fact that they they did a sneak attack and basically got a cheap victory right afterwards. Cause sure, that's what heels do. Yep, yep, absolutely. Okerlund is in the ring with the Dungeon of Doom. Johnny Shivani, I thank you very much. Jimmy Hart here. Very fortunate you're still intact, along with Big Bubba and the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. I don't know. You got by but a skin of your teeth in that one. Another victory for the Dungeon of Doom. Plain and simple fact. That shows the power of Big Bubba Rogers. I should be getting all the title shots. I should be in all the main events. I'm not going to be overlooked anymore starting tonight. And oh, by the way, what about this Glacier character? I keep seeing promos saying, 
He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. What if you're coming? Come on, baby. I'll let you have a little bit of this. Yeah, Jimmy Hart. You know, Bubba, don't worry about it. Because you see, Glacier's got this little interview that said blood runs cold. Glacier, when you get here to the WCW, the only thing that's gonna be running is gonna be you. All right, Kevin Sullivan. You know, I'm gonna turn the tables. A year and a half ago, if everybody listened to me about Hogan, this problem would be going on. I could ask you something, Gene. I saw you out in a boat in Sarasota with Hogan a week ago. That wasn't me, that was Eric Bischoff. I know Eric Bischoff, and y'all know Eric Bischoff. Did the guy have hair? Yeah, the guy had a bald head, it was you. The other thing is, the four horsemen, this needs to be addressed. You know, they got a Wolverine that's been going around saying he's been beating me up. It ain't my neighbors that are talking about it. If you get my drift. I got it. Well, let me tell you something. If the, if the horsemen think they're the last line of defense against Hogan and the NWO, they got something else coming. Kevin Sullivan, before you run away, have you been greasing the palm of Nick Patrick? First of all, Everybody's entitled to a mistake, even you hanging around with Hogan. That's right. Thank you very much, Dungeon of Doom, and stay tuned. More Nitro live from South Florida here on TNT. Bubba says that the match shows that he should get all of the title shots and be in all of the main <laughs> events. He really has got his eyes on the prize there. I love <laughs> right. it. He then calls out Glacier for all of the promos but the lack of a debut. Uh, the reason he's doing that is is they've actually filmed some matches with Glacier, one of which will air uh, before Glacier makes his official Nitro debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will we'll save that and we'll talk about it a little ways down the road. But kind of spoiler alert that when Glacier does make his Nitro debut, it will be against Big Bubba. Oh, so right. they're setting that up a full, I think it's three weeks from now. So they're setting that, planting that seed rather early here. Okay. By the way, I, li- I like this Big Bubba promo because I it's like the great. idea of him being like, I deserve every title match yeah. and every main event. I just pinned Jim Powers, guys. <laughs> right. I deserve every title shot. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Hart says the only thing that's going to be running uh, instead of the blood running cold is going to be Glacier. <laughs> wow. Uh, Sullivan. <laughs> it, it probably sounded better in his head. <laughs> yeah. Sullivan uses his time to crow about how he was right about Hogan. Uh, when he was, you know, a heel, talk about the evil of Hulkamania, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Sullivan says that he saw Gene on a boat with Hogan last week, but Gene <laughs> says it was Eric Bischoff. <laughs> no, it wasn't, says Sullivan. <laughs> Did the guy have hair, asked Gene? The guy had a bald head, and it was you, says the Taskmaster. <laughs> and then they just move on from that. Right. I, I don't know if they were just going into business for themselves for a second or just like <laughs> thought it'd be a funny thing to improv, but it's a fairly big accusation in WCW right now. <laughs> right. And they just move on from it. Like It's so bizarre. <laughs> if I was Gene Oakland, I'd be like, well, where were you? Or you could see it. It's, yeah. Were you on the other side of the boat? <laughs> Sullivan turns his attention to the horsemen and Benoit. And like last week, says that Benoit has been going around saying that he's beating up Sullivan and repeats the line that it's not his neighbors talking if you get my drift. You remember that? He said that oh, last week and, it was, yeah. and we were like, I don't get your drift. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't. The only thing I can think is maybe it's supposed to be hints to the whole like 
the sto- the affair that woman and Benoit uh, are having that he's like using to work the boys. Um, I don't but know. I just don't. I don't know enough about that phrase. I don't know if it's like a New England thing. He's from Boston. I, I mm. just I'm throwing any shit at the wall. I I, I again yeah. like last week. I do not get his drift. Yeah, and it's not any clearer from last week you know yeah i'm begging you listeners if you have any idea what the hell this means please tweet me (laughs) email the show just let me know what the hell he's talking about and i i don't remember are you still do you are you still listening to the uh kevin sullivan thing or is he not on these shows i hit and miss but Mm -hmm. that he does not explain that i did listen to this episode at was at work today uh uh, if you're curious what we're talking about we're talking about Kevin Sullivan has a podcast. It's behind a paywall, but he talks he talks about every episode of Nitro, yeah. much like we do, um, except for like with an annoying accent and way less detail, despite being a man who is there in the building. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but he he didn't talk about this at all. What okay. he meant by that, so I don't I don't have a clue. It must not be important if even Kevin Sullivan, in <laughs> retrospect, doesn't bring it up. Gene asks if Sullivan has been paying off Patrick, and Sullivan says that everyone's entitled to a mistake, even Gene for hanging out with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> then they go to commercial. <laughs> the mystery continues. When we come back, Gene has apparently hustled it to the back as he's now in the locker room, joined by Sting and Luger. All right, fans, we are back in the locker room area. WCW Monday Nitro on the air. Lex Luger, Sting, gentlemen. We know that coming up at Fall Brawl of the War Games, you're going to be teaming up with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. But what, Lex, about this challenge from Steve Mongo McMichael and the Canadian crippler Chris Benoit? Just Stinger, we thought we had things straightened out with the horse from last week. A new twist. Benoit, McMichaels, you want to gut check the Stinger and I? You want to challenge us? Well, we've accepted the challenge right here on Nitro on national TV. I couldn't think of a better place because we are in the frame of mind that kicks them behind. If you want some of us, come and get it. You know, one thing that's kind of strange, you're going to be teaming up with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, but I don't think there's any guarantee, Stinger, that they wouldn't interfere if it involved the horsemen. Well, right now it seems kind of obvious that there's no guarantees because last week everything was cool. We all laid it out on the line. Rick and Arn, you even asked Chris and Steve McMichaels, is it cool with you? And the answer was, yes, we respect your opinion, Steve and Rick. We'll step aside. So now this week, you want to test us. It's a gut chest, just like the total package says. I don't understand that. We don't get it. As far as I'm concerned, if you want Chris and Steve to gut check both of us, that means both of you want the same. That means you don't trust us. After all we've been through... Ric Flair, especially you, you should never, ever question our intestinal fortitude. You're making a mistake. Another thing, too, gentlemen, what about the NWO? Nobody's saying anything about the New World Order, Lex Luger. One thing at a time. This is between us and the horsemen right here. They made the challenge, and we accept. We've made it, we've staked our careers on never, ever backing away from a challenge, and it won't be any different tonight. All right, gentlemen, work ahead of you. You've got the horseman Chris Benoit and Steve Mongo McMichael. I'm ready a for little a bit chance. later on here on Nitro. As they head down to ringside, let's get back to you, Tony and Larry. Again, Gene is all over the show. I think it's, I didn't count, I think it's 11 or 12 appearances uh-huh. by the end of the show. <laughs> no exaggeration. Gene asks why the horsemen challenged them to a match tonight. 
Lex says that they gladly accepted the challenge of Benoit McMichaels, and they're in the frame of mind to kick some behind. <laughs> Sting is also pissed that this match is happening and doesn't get why they've requested the match, which he and Lex uh, are both framing, as I mentioned earlier, as a gut check by the horsemen. He's especially disappointed in Flair for questioning Lex and Sting's intestinal fortitude. Gene then asks about the NWO, but Lex says one thing at a time, and Gene throws it back to ringside, where the mauler, Mike Enos, is making his way to the ring to a surprisingly kick-ass theme. It's just like a western sort of thing, and I was like, wow, the mauler's got a really... And I don't think they call him the mauler anymore, that's just... It sticks I think, in my yeah. Mind. Mm -hmm. why, why would you have a different name when your last name rhymes with both penis and anus? <laughs> why indeed? <laughs> Enos comes out calling the fan a bunch of idiots and asking the people standing near the guardrail why they don't go find some seats. And Mike Enos is suddenly growing on me. <laughs> Out next is his opponent, Chavo Guerrero. For whatever reason, Tony starts hyping the pay-per-view coming up after Fall Brawl, October 29th's Halloween Havoc, two full months away. Uh, as we've known for a while, and we've talked about this on the show, the main event for that show will be Hulk Hogan defending his title against Randy Savage. Chavo and Enos exchange some back-and-forth strikes until Chavo hits a very nice dropkick, then schoolboys Enos for two, followed by an even prettier dropkick that causes Enos to roll outside to recover. Chavo goes for a pescado, but Enos catches him, does some hilarious mean-mugging to the camera, then throws Chavo in a very nice fallaway slam on the outside. Enos picks up Chavo and walks him back up to the ring. Larry says that Enos is carrying Chavo like he's a baby, <laughs> which may not help Chavo get over all that much. All right. Dick Slater, Enos' tag team partner in Rough and Ready, shows up at ringside with a towel over his head for no apparent reason other than he's really ugly and perhaps the higher-ups at Turner have demanded that he start only appearing on television <laughs> like this. That was my initial theory. Anyway. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, thank God someone put a towel on him. By, by the way, I really like the way that... Um Enos is like emphasizing his power advantage. Yes. Um, it, I found that this match had like a surprisingly high level of like uh, psychology. Yeah, they definitely tell a clear story of the smaller Chavo trying his hand against this much bigger, tougher guy. Yeah. We get a backbreaker from Enos as Tony tells us that Okerlund, Savage, and Bobby Heenan will be on hand to sign autographs when Halloween Havoc tickets go on sale this weekend. <laughs> so I guess that explains why they're plugging that show so early. <laughs> right. <laughs> just it's not even remotely their next review <laughs> it's so long from now <laughs> right and it's at what was that uh caesar's palace what was it like five thousand fans you remember they had a nitro in the clash of the champions there back in january yeah it's a small venue uh so i don't think they're gonna have like a problem selling tickets oh. that they need to mention it this much right okay Plus, it's in Vegas. You're gonna have all sorts of tourists who are just there for the weekend who are willing to go see, you no, know they'll be like fuck it let's go yeah. let's go see the slim jim guy <laughs> Imagine only knowing Savage as the Slim Jim guy. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go off on something a little like completely different yeah, for a moment. By all means. Um, so I was listening to a podcast with a bunch of NBA players. Okay. Um, like the the people that like the sideline reporter for the Cleveland Cavaliers has a podcast. Okay. And they podcast and they interview mostly Cavaliers, but like other pe like uh, opponents that are in the arena for the game. Right. Um, so I was listening to this one from uh, Jordan Clarkson, who is a new member of the Cavaliers, mm -hmm. um, especially because he had this quote where he believes that dinosaurs existed, but that they were pets to large humans. 
Like, oh yeah, I saw I saw you mention that on Facebook. Yes, yeah, so that I, is bonkers. So I was listening to that, and the point because we were just saying about the Slim Jim guy yeah. is because uh, he kept talking about how, like, one of his things is like, oh, like for a style thing, I like to wear a kilt, you know, uh-huh. whatever with, with jeans underneath. I'm right. Like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. And someone said, someone said it's like, oh, like Roddy Roddy Piper, and he's like, I'm 25. I don't know who Roddy Roddy Piper is. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I, I just found it like depressing. That is, <laughs> although it's also weird. It's weird to also know that you don't know who that is because you're young. Like I don't know who many people are. It's not because like I they were I I don't just assume they were born in the 1800s. Like, <laughs> but like Abraham Lincoln was born way before I was. Yeah, but I know who he is. What is it with pro athletes and insane theories? Because I know there's a lot of. For whatever reason, it seems to be a lot of NBA players specifically who are into the flat earth thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or not a lot. A lot would be an exaggeration, but a lot proportionally to other professions, let's say. I I would associate that with like the one and done in which they don't do a lot of like studying. Yeah. Because later on, the lady asks um, like what his what he was studying in school. He was like, please say he said paleontology. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. (laughs) No, but he's like, uh, uh general studies <laughs> and then they all laugh their ass out because they're like of course yeah yeah <laughs> all right back to the match <laughs> enos gets a big kick to chavo's gut and we suddenly cut to conan sitting in the audience looking sort of like a stereotypical 90s vado but also kind of like walter white in his heisenberg persona yeah yeah i get <laughs> i didn't think of it then but when you said that i'm like yes <laughs> And I and I think isn't there like a fan behind them that are like I want to go talk to him I want to go talk to him Oh it lo- I didn't catch that I thought I thought that sense. there was like a little kid and like his mom like trying to go <laughs> talk to him but like they're being held back or something Enos continues dominating Guerrero with a power slam he then hits a fisherman suplex for a two count Enos goes for a power slam and Chavo goes up for it just fine but then for some reason Enos fucks up and tries to maybe do a sit out power bomb Uh, Or maybe he just falls down. I don't know. The end effect, though, is that Chavo lands across Enos's leg. Now, my first thought was that Enos does a smart thing by selling it immediately. And I was like, oh, that's nice. They botched. But Mm -hmm. he's selling it because when guys botch, they just normally don't sell it. They act like nothing happened. Right. But I was like, that's the logical thing you would do if a guy fell on your leg. Um, But as the finish is going to make clear, that was a planned spot. They planned to do a sit-out powerbomb where... Chavo just accidentally lands on his leg. Mm-hmm. That seems so weird to me. Like it, it's almost harder to pull off an accident, right? You know? I think I think that was the the issue. Is like Enos has to like do it incorrectly, yeah. But then like not injure him, so he has to like really perfectly like incorrectly do this move. It's I don't know. It is it's a very weird sort of thing for them to do in order to like. Make sure his knees injured. Like, right. there's a lot of easier ways to do it than like botching a sit-down power bomb. Chavo seizes on the injury with a figure four, but Enos accidentally thumbs Randy Anderson in the eye. <laughs> that allows Dick Slater to come in. Uh, he tosses off his towel and vest with a comical flourish mm-hmm. and drops an elbow on Guerrero. Slater then hands Enos the towel and sends him to the outside. I guess they're going to try twin magic, even though Dick Slater is one of the most distinctive-looking guys in WCW, and he has a big, bushy mullet where Enos has a crew cut. <laughs> this is an insane ploy. Right. 
Slater gets a swinging neckbreaker, called a spinning neckbreaker by Shivani, and then goes to lock on a figure four. But Chavo applies an inside cradle for the out of nowhere one, two, three, as I guess the injury to Randy Anderson's eye makes him unable to distinguish between the members of Rough and Ready. <laughs> Though I guess if he could if he could tell the difference, it would have just been a disqualification win for Chavo. Right. So the end result is basically the same. <laughs> This was a goofy match with some decent spots. Uh, I thought it was a fine television match. I actually, I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I said before, I felt like that they, they took advantage of the, the difference between themselves. Yeah. Like Mikey, I think Mikey Nos likes to, to do the power stuff. Like yeah. you could tell like that was his element. He wants to overpower people. And so he found the perfect guy to do it against. He's got a great fallaway slam. I remember that he hit it from the second rope on Steve Dahl mm-hmm. in the match that uh, Scott Hall interrupted on Nitro. He's just a, a great, and Scott Hall also has a great fallaway slam. Yeah, speaking, speaking yeah. of fallaway slams, no, it's just a move that I've always liked. Yeah, and and I do remember the part when he was out at ringside and he just took his sweet ass time before actually yeah. throwing him. <laughs> yes, Enos is mad at Slater, and the two bicker in the ring a bit until we head to the aisle where Okerlund is standing alongside Chavo. Chavo calls out DDP and takes Page to task for attacking Eddie after the bell at the Clash and then whipping Chavo with a belt uh, after the bell last week on Nitro. Chavo is very nervous, and he talks way too fast, mm-hmm. but he has good fire, like good intensity. Uh, you know, I can understand what he's saying. He's just rushing it a little bit at this point. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of potential there, and it's just at some point you just got to get the experience in order to get better at it. Gene asks Chavo about facing DDP at Fall Brawl, and Chavo says that he can't wait for that match, and says that if you mess with one Guerrero, you mess with all of them. And we head off to commercial that includes... <laughs> on the network, they've included this t-shirt commercial where Gene and Bobby are selling, like, a oh, Nitro t-shirt. Yep. And they're just clearly just fucking around in front of the camera, and they just use the first take. Right. It's all, like, uh, Bobby is standing backwards. where He's wearing the shirt backwards and standing backwards, and Gene's like... Oh, you don't have your head screwed on straight. Ha ha. And that's like the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but the shirt's $20 plus $5 shipping and handling. And that's a $96. Seems steep. <laughs> yeah. It's no $90 um, jean jacket for Hog Wild, though. Yeah. It's like the t-shirt costs as much as ordering the pay-per-view. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is, uh, it shouldn't cost as much as a pay-per-view. Tony hype Saturday night, including a television title defense by Lex Luger against Lord Steven Regal. Note that. Yes. Out comes JL and his opponent, the cruiserweight champion, Rey Mysterio. I feel like this was the case last time JL was on, but he's dropped the Mr. He used to be Mr. JL. This time he's just JL, and I could not remember for the life of me if that was the case last time. But just in case we didn't mention it before, Mr. JL is now just JL. Okay. This match is for the title, and here to call all the action is our own cruiserweight, Dave Amantorp. <laughs> I, I was going to note that this is one of those instances where I don't really care the fact that JL is getting a title shot because this should be a really good match. Sure. Agreed. And and I guess I didn't notice it because I wrote down Mr. JL. Oh, um, okay. But uh, so the match starts off relatively slow with the, uh, the two exchanging arm drags. JL then gets Ray in a wrist lock, but Mysterio re- reverses by kipping up and slapping on a wrist lock of his own. After a few reversals, JL traps Ray in a headlock, which he is very much against releasing when Mysterio tried to break it up with an Irish whip. Instead, JL gets a headlock takedown 
only to have Ray finally break the hold and take his opponent down with a dropkick. As JL looks for a test of strength, the camera suddenly cuts to outside the building, where Hollywood Hulk Hogan and the Outsiders are leading a cameraman to an unknown location. They end up approaching the company's video truck and begin to spray paint the NWO slogan all over it. I thought this is kind of funny because there's at least two instances in which the doors on the production cr- truck <laughs> yes. open and quickly shut. Yes. Probably by production crew who wanted to leave and realized they were filming out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the whole thing is hilarious. There's uh, there's so many parts of it that are funny to me. Uh, one, it's this giant truck, and they keep spray painting NWO in relatively small letters, mm-hmm. which is very funny. Uh, only Hogan spray paint seems to work that well. Everyone else's like fades instantaneously, so I, he keeps I, having to like spray over what the other guys are doing. I, I think that the whatever the substance is on the side of, is like the spray paint just doesn't stay very. Oh, well. that could be. Um, so like yeah, he keeps doing it over and over again, and and I also think it was really funny, but that like they really didn't have a lot to that, to write besides just NWO. Yeah. They they think they're so cool and funny though. <laughs> right. I also there's like a part of the truck that has all the logos on it. Mm-hmm. Do they spray paint that part? No. They go to like where there's big white space that Turner could just easily paint back over. <laughs> well, except that Scott Hall does uh, X out CNN. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, fake news. He <laughs> right? knew. He knew then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so, it's they look like fucking dorks. It's right. so goddamn funny. I was dying with laughter the whole time. <laughs> they look like dorks. They look like dorks. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to drop that in. Uh just so we'll know, who's the enemy? A valid question. We know nothing about their language, their history, or what they look like. But we can assume this. They stand for everything we don't stand for. Also, they told me you guys look like dorks. They look like dorks. I'm gonna. By the way, you could hear the in-ring action during this whole affair too. Yeah. So there's clearly a match still going on that don't that doesn't stop for anything. And when we finally cut back to the ring, Mr. JL is on the arena floor, catching his breath after some amazing sequence of moves that we were not a witness to. He gets back into the ring, and yep, we cut back to the NWO, who, like I mentioned. Their creativity failed to stretch much further than writing those three letters. They get NWO for life. That's the most that they yes. get to come up with here. <laughs> but there's one point where Hogan just writes NWO and then writes it like underneath and then writes it underneath that like he's practicing his writing. <laughs> We're back to the ring again and Ray has his challenger in a camel clutch. How did he do that? We'll never know. <laughs> As JL slips out of the move and begins to set up Ray for a surfboard, we head to a commercial break. So even when we're not paying attention to NWO, there's another reason to interrupt this match. Back from commercial, we see Mr. JL grabbing the ropes as he has Ray in an abdominal stretch because someone has to play the heel here, right? After the referee kicks JL's hand off the ropes, which JL pretty much no-sells, Ray counters with a hip toss and then sends him sliding out of the ring courtesy of a springboard dropkick. Ray flies over the top rope and hits JL with his patented somersault senton as we cut away from the action again, only this time to show a street-clothed Dean Malenko watching from the aisle. Yeah. 
After a really long shot of Dean's sullen kisser, we get Ray on the middle turnbuckle beckoning Milenko to come get some, like during his match. Yeah. <laughs> this distraction does not come back to haunt Mysterio whatsoever as JL was just returning to the ring. We get a weird moment as JL shoves Ray before dropping to his hands and knees for a traditional mat wrestling starting position, which Ray eagerly embraces. At this point, I realize that the side seam of JL's shirt has been torn away. So yeah. you start seeing his gut, and it's not a very good look, especially since he just seems to find that side is on the camera side at right. all times. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's not horrible. He's not fat or anything, but there's a reason he's probably wearing a shirt at this point. It, but it just looks cheap, too. Yeah, yes, that's more than anything, I agree. It right. kind of splits right down the seam so that it's – Still connected at the armpit and the waist, mm -hmm. but you just get like a little window. Right. <laughs> a little tease. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, JL reaches for the rope and we get a break. JL taunts the fans before demanding that Rey Mysterio Jr. drop down into the wrestling stands himself, which he acquiesces. At that moment, Tony Giovanni makes what I believe to be the first reference to the fact that the WCW World Heavyweight title's lineage supposedly dates back to 1905. Yeah, that's right. Which I said is bullshit, but I haven't done like the, the research behind it, so maybe you'll, you'll get to hear that complaining later on in a different episode. JL had no intention in mat wrestling, however, as he kicks Ray in the ribs before executing a couple of backbreakers. Meanwhile, the tear in his shirt is only getting worse by the minute. JL hits the champion with a sit-out powerbomb, but Ray kicks out a two. He attempts a second one, but Ray floats over and hits JL with a sunset flip for a two count. JL is back to his feet first, and he body slams Ray Mysterio before locking on a Boston Crab. Which Larry uh, fucking gets on him for not sitting down far enough. He could sit and just another Larry, like, right. just I find something else to talk about that's not criticizing everyone in the ring. Right. Uh, JL is now fussing with his mask as his costume is determined to undermine his championship opportunity. He eventually gets bored of the hold, like all wrestling in the mid-90s, <laughs> and hits Ray with a side suplex as the dynamite countdown to hour number two appears on the screen, in which we're, we're treated to a full minute of it on the screen, by the way. <laughs> and literally everything in WCW is trying to interrupt this match tonight. Ray hits a sunset flip for a two count as the countdown reaches 30 seconds. Again, it's JL who returns to his feet first and hits Ray with a suplex. The fireworks for hour two goes off as Ray Mysterio kicks out a two, making the <laughs> kick out look really dramatic. <laughs> I wish every kick out had pyro. <laughs> right. We cut away from the match for a shot of the entranceway, noticeably without Dean Malenko, and it's fancy fireworks. JL uh, sits Ray on the top rope, only to be catapulted out of the ring by the diminutive champion. JL dodges a baseball slide and instead rams Ray into the guardrail. Mr. JL whips Ray into the ring steps, but Ray leaps onto the steps, back kicks JL, and hits him with a hurricanrana that sends him flying down the aisle. Or as Eric Bischoff called it, a takeover. <laughs> Ray then tosses JL into the ring and hits him with a springboard hurricanrana for the pinfall victory. Now, I think this was a good match, but it kept getting interrupted so many times right. that I really didn't get, like, a good flow. But, yeah, uh, that's true. But um, I felt like that JL, at some point, realizing that he is the heel, I think did a good job of, like, 
not only kind of playing up to that, yeah. but also just kind of like be more of a bully in the ring and yeah. just kind of like throwing Ray around and all that. But um, I thought it was a pretty good match, especially since I don't think these guys have really had a lot of ring time together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, JL having to like fuss with his mask for half the match. Yeah, I also thought it was pretty good. Um, they kind of just kept everything on pause at the beginning because they knew the NWO stuff was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second half was good. The finish, the Huracarana, was was pretty sloppy. Yeah. Um, but overall, I thought this was good. I didn't have a problem with it. I was surprised because uh, Meltzer in his review of the Nitro, or not review, it's just kind of his notes, he basically like trashes this match and said that it was at no point was it good. And I think he says the crowd was dead, which I didn't, I didn't find that to be the case at all. Yeah, and I and I just I feel like that it does make the match look bad if you keep cutting away from it. So Absolutely. maybe that probably influenced the way that he looked at the match. Yeah, because that could it, be. Because I, yeah, I thought that the parts we saw were good, and it's hard to figure out like if it, the flow of the match is going really well if you are missing a whole bunch of parts of it. Afterward, Mysterio addresses Malenko through the camera, saying that he would defend his belt against Malenko right now if Malenko were to come out. <laughs> uh, he does not. We then head to the back where Mean Gene is joined by Benoit, Mongo, Woman, Liz, and Deborah. By the locker room area with Chris Benoit, of course, we've got the lovely ladies, Woman, Miss Elizabeth, Deborah, Steve McMichael on my hotline. I reported that Coach Dave Wanstead of the Chicago Bears has contacted you this past week about returning to action in the National Football League. Listen, brother, I ain't here to substantiate your 1-900 number. What I'm here for is the match we demanded. In hindsight, baby, those guys don't need to be backing up Flair and Anderson. It's us, and we're going to prove it to them, the world, and especially the WCW and who are who, NWO. You watch. All right, uh, they have been out doing a little painting. Uh, by the way, woman, you've got to knock that off here on television. I can't help myself, Gene. By the way, how is your good friend, Hulk Hogan? Oh, between you and Sullivan, get out of here. I'm beyond reproach. I have nothing to do with the man. Chris Benoit, later tonight, Lex Luger and Sting, let's talk turkey. Mongo and the Crippler, let's get one thing clear. We didn't relinquish our spots in war games. That was the decision left to two men who made us horsemen. Two men that have never betrayed us. Tonight is not about vengeance. Tonight is not about envy manifesting itself. Tonight is about security. Security, not only to the horsemen, but to the WCW. Look into my eyes. Can you see the hungry beast? That's something, Sting and Lex, that we believe you don't have anymore. We're going to find out tonight. All right, Ego's obviously involved because Sting and Lex Luger bumping these two men, apparently, from the war games at Fall Brawl. However, we're going to be seeing them in action a little bit later on in this television program. It's Nitro, it's live, it's on TNT. Don't go away because we're right back. Gene starts off by asking about a rumor that the coach of the Bears wants Mongo to return. Mongo sidesteps the question and says basically that he and Benoit realized that they were wrong to let Sting and Lex take their spots in war games. Woman asks Gene about his good friend Hulk Hogan, referring to that little thing from Sullivan earlier, <laughs> and Gene claims that he is, quote, beyond reproach, and has nothing to do with the man. Benoit says that tonight is about giving security to the horsemen and WCW. And we go to commercial. 
After the break, Bischoff claims that the Macho Man will be the first man in WCW to have a chance to take the belt off Hogan, having apparently forgotten Ric Flair's failed attempt at the Clash of the Champions a week and a half ago. <laughs> we see replays of Hogan attacking Macho Man with a chair from two weeks ago and Savage's promo on Hulk last week. Then we see Savage versus Giant from the main event of last week's Nitro, which ended with Savage getting chair shots to the Giant and most of the Dungeon of Doom. One thing that I noticed in the replay that I don't think we did a good job mentioning last week is that when Savage finally runs and the Giant chases after him, the Giant leaps over the top rope down to the floor and then sprints after him. Hmm. And it's sometimes like kind of scary to see how athletic the giant was when yeah. he was like 26 or whatever years old mm-hmm. it's it just nuts to see a guy that big leap over the top rope to the outside and then sprint right just like <laughs> god i would never want that guy mad at me that's right. terrifying <laughs> and i also found it depressing when they're talking about like this tile match because it indicates that hogan's not going to defend it for two months yeah, and I think we're going to, you know, that's sort of the reputation that he didn't uh, defend it. We're, it's, I think we're going to have to get used to that, that concept that we're going to get a lot of pay-per-views with the champion not defending. Mm-hmm. Something that I was not really used to until the last few years when Lesnar has kind of carved out a similar path. Right. Um, but I knew that was kind of the case in WCW. So this, it's going to be, I'm, I'm kind of intri- intrigued to see how they do it because it's not like Brock... Like, Hogan will still show up more often than I think Brock does, or at least that's my impression. Right. Um, But the fact that he's just not defending the belt all that much. So that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that kind of plays out. Mean Gene is in the locker room with Randy Savage. Eric Bischoff, I thank you very much. We should point out for the record, as I was taking a look, and of course you were watching at home to that footage from recent uh, uh, Nitros, this man was also taking a look at a monitor. Come on in, Macho Man Randy Savage. Let's lay it out for the record. You are signed for October the 27th in Las Vegas, Nevada at the MGM Grand to face Hulk Hogan, a very controversial figure, Hollywood Hogan, the man that did you in for the WCW heavyweight crown. I want to clarify that. I'm quiet, but deadly right now. Yeah, I got the title shot. Yeah, Halloween Havoc is going to be Monday. I deserve it, yeah! Let me tell you something, Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. It's for all the marbles! I might only have one marble left in my head, but I'll guarantee you it's going to be the scariest match of the century because I'm going to take you apart piece by piece what's ever left after war games because nobody cares. I don't care. You don't care. Nobody cares. So let it happen. Well, I I do care. I I really do. I don't care if you care. I'm in the zone, buddy. Very quickly, let's let's go back. You've got you've got something before Hulk Hogan, and that is that fall brawl. You've got the giant, the man we just saw. I'm gonna blow through the giant. That's it. All right, the Randy Savage. Do you have an extra chair? Enough of that. Eric, let's get back to you. Savage says that he's quiet but deadly. I guess kind of comparing himself to a fart. <laughs> he probably. <laughs> And also, when has he ever been quiet? <laughs> I don't remember him being quiet. He promises him versus Hogan will be the scariest match of the century. Ooh. <laughs> and nobody cares. Not him, not Hogan, not Gene, nobody. Gene protests that he, in fact, does care. And Savage yells, I don't care if you care. I'm in the zone, buddy. <laughs> 
Savage promises to bolt through the giant at Fall Brawl and continues to yell at Gene as he walks away, done with the promo. <laughs> Gene says something about like something about like if he need uh if he knows where to get a chair or something like that. And you could barely hear Savage's reply, but I was able to to catch on. And yeah. he, he says like from a distance, I got thirty two chairs. <laughs> <laughs> which is like a very specific That's number very, of chairs. He must have that exact number. He counted. <laughs> Back in the arena, out comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He is going to face the Giant, who comes out next, accompanied by Jimmy Hart. Before the match begins, though, we go to commercial. When we come back, the bell rings, and Hacksaw immediately starts a USA chant. He tries a shoulder tackle on the Giant, who doesn't move. He goes to try again, but Jimmy Hart grabs him by the foot. Hacksaw bails to the outside to chase Hart, but only manages to remove Jimmy's coat. He throws that coat at the giant and then lays in with punches when the giant catches it, like, with his face. Mm-hmm. So he's like, ah, he can't see me. Better punch him. Then he runs to the ring like a fucking coward. <laughs> giant gets up on the apron and Hacksaw punches him back down to the floor, not letting his opponent into the ring, because he's a goddamn heel. Right. <laughs> he blocks a couple of giant forearms and lays in some double sled shots. Hacksaw Jim Duggan is dominating the Giant for the first minute of this goddamn match. <laughs> giant whips Duggan into the ring post and then charges, but Hacksaw moves out of the way and Giant hurts his shoulder against the steel. Hacksaw punches Giant and runs into the ring again. Again, he won't let Giant into the ring, so Giant grabs him by the head and does the thing where he jumps down and chokes him on the top rope. Oh, like Hangman? Yes. Giant then gets in the ring and kicks Hacksaw in the gut. He whips Duggan into the ropes and then locks in a bear hug. Duggan punches his way out, so the giant shoves him into a corner for his trademark butt thrust. Hacksaw dodges one and then tries a scoop slam that is, of course, not going to work. Right. And suddenly the crowd's attention is on the steps leading down to the concourse where a bearded man in a black sport coat and a white shirt makes his way down to ringside. We cut to a closer shot, and it's Ted DiBiase. What? Oh no, says Heenan, and Bischoff exclaims, not again. (laughs) DiBiase is swamped by fans, but eventually makes his way to his seat. Giant gets a slam on Duggan and misses an elbow drop as Bobby says that he knows DiBiase and he must be here for a reason. (laughs) Duggan tapes his fist and then, (laughs) I shouldn't skip past this, Duggan tapes his fist, this time just with Nick Patrick watching him. Yeah. Like, sometimes he does it out of view of the ref, and then the ref sees the tape and does nothing. This time, Nick Patrick just... Last last week, Nick Patrick took the tape away from him, remember? Right. <laughs> this time, Nick Patrick just watches. He's just like, well, Duggan, you're an idiot. This won't work out for you anyway, so I guess I'm going to allow this. Or maybe it's like, well, I mean, I took away from him last time. He just had another set of duct tape, so <laughs> oh, that's right. I might as well just let him. <laughs> There's... <laughs> He realizes the futility of taking it away. So Duggan tapes his fist and nails the giant to no effect. In a moment that genuinely made me laugh, he rolls up more tape. Like the problem was that it wasn't taped enough. <laughs> and the giant just watches. And then the like Duggan notices that the giant's looking at him and he holds up a hand like, give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> and giant just lets him because he's like, you're Jim Duggan. I'm the giant. Yeah. I'm not scared of you. Right. The ensuing punch does manage to stun the giant, but doesn't take him down. Jimmy Hart then distracts Duggan with the 2x4, which Patrick takes away. Duggan turns around right into a giant choke slam, uh, which Duggan does not want to go up for. Giant just has to force him up. 
yeah, this is this was really impressive because he has him halfway up, and Duggan's a big guy. Yeah, he he's deceptively huge. Yeah, but there's not an instance in which it's like Giants not going to drop him. He's, right, and you just like like just hoist him up even a little bit more. It's like it's crazy how strong he is. Duggan. It he takes the full impact. I don't know if it's because Giants piss now or what, <laughs> but it looks pretty vicious when he hits the mat. And that is all she wrote. The Giant picks up the win in about four and a half fairly bad minutes. Right. The camera now cuts to DiBiase, who is now seated, and he silently counts on his hand. One, two, three, four. Then he pauses meaningfully and says, next week before adding a fifth finger. Hmm. Now, the meaning of this seemed clear to me, but I, of course, have the benefit of knowing how this turns out. So I will say that Bobby and Eric claim all night that you could read this two different ways. One way is that Ted is in the NWO, he is the fourth member, and next week there will be a fifth member. The other way is that Ted is somehow aligned with the horseman, and he's telling us that next week there will be a fifth horseman. Yeah, that's a stretch. It seems dumb to me. I mean, instantly I was like, oh, he's in the NWO, and next week we'll get a fifth member of the NWO. Right. Seemed pretty obvious, but for whatever reason, they want to act like it's a mystery that could go either way. Mm -hmm. I guess next week we'll find out for sure. The awesome moment is undercut a little bit by the redneck sitting next to DeBiase. Oh, this guy's awesome. He's just like, (laughs) next week, five. And he's like just excitedly screaming it to everyone around him. Yeah. Next week, five. He's so, so happy. Giant walks to the back, but he's stopped by Mean Gene, who won't be stopped until he interviews every member of the WCW roster. (laughs) All right, guys, I thank you very much. I'm still somewhat in shock seeing Ted DiBiase here at ringside, but you're also in shock, Giant. I'm in shock. You're all going right. I am in shock. I can hardly talk because I'm in shock. Macho Man, you want to blame this on me? This is my fault. I let WCW down. Brother, where were your guts? Where were you? How come you weren't there? I'll tell you why, because you were scared. You know you can't cut the job I tell you what you're gonna fight Hogan in October I'm gonna fight Hogan because I tell you right now out of me and you it's gonna be me because I am the world heavyweight champion if I have to beat Hogan for the belt I will beat him if I have to beat you I will beat you doesn't matter macho man fall brawl I'll be there in the cage you can bet on it wherever you go Thank you very much. I think that pretty much sums it up. His feelings, the Giant saying Macho Man Randy Savage does not deserve a shot at Hulk Hogan. Stay tuned. Goodness sakes, these guys are very messy. More Nitro coming up after this, please. The Giant says that he's in shock and can barely speak because Randy Savage has the nerve to blame him for losing to Hogan when Savage was too scared to even be in Sturgis for Hogwild. Giant says that he'll beat either Hogan or Savage for the belt. Apparently, Hacksaw has been doing some bullshit in the ring because you can hear a USA chant start up. Oh, yeah. So he just couldn't let someone else have the focus for five goddamn minutes. Right. Uh, Giant ends up, he finishes yelling something. I I didn't write down what it was. Uh, All I got is is that at the end of the promo... Gene whips out a handkerchief and wipes the giant spit off the camera Mm -hmm. and then says, like, 
these guys make a mess. <laughs> and then we go to commercial. Oh, boy. Yeah. Again, he's not making the guy look good. He's making Gene Okerlund look good. Right. After the break, out comes the Rock and Roll Express, followed by Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, who are accompanied by Woman and Liz. We again cut to DiBiase as Bobby and Eric speculate on his motives. Here to call all the action is our own... Uh, Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> Dave Amendorp. Um, Well, I mean, Flair and Anderson don't really add much to that um, second option because they really do not pay attention to Ted DiBiase. Right. Yeah, they don't... No one in the ring... Duggan, Giant, Flair, are Nobody pays attention to DiBiase in the slightest. Right. So, the bell rings while Flair is still taking off his robe and the women are in the ring still. So that's cool. We start the match off with Arn Anderson and Ricky Morton. Arn, which, by the way, I had to go back and look up their names again because I don't care about the Rock and Roll Express enough to remember who is who. Mm -hmm. Arn unloads with punches while I think... This is the point where he tries not to be distracted by Ted DiBiase. I don't know. He he keeps punching Ricky Morton and then like kind of looking over that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't. It wasn't enough to for me to be like, oh, it's definitely Ted DiBiase. Right. Ricky Morton gets a tag as he comes off the ropes, and Robert Gibson crouches behind Arn as Morton hits a flying crossbody for a two count, even though he just tagged out of the match. Undeterred, they drop Arn with a tandem clothesline before nailing the Nature Boy with a double drop kick. After the two horsemen take a few moments at ringside to collect themselves, Ric Flair officially enters the match to face Robert Gibson. Flair backs Gibson into the horseman corner and unloads with chops and punches to the chops. Gibson fights his way out of the corner only to have Flair pitch him to the outside, while referee Randy Anderson is distracted by the entrance of Arn and Ricky into the ring Woman takes the time to rake the shit out of Gibson's eyeballs. <laughs> Woman's the best. Yes. She has one thing, but she nails it yes. every time. <laughs> the horsemen cut the ring off, making quick tags and keeping Gibson from tagging to his now rested partner. Eventually, an exchange of blows between Gibson and Flair goes in favor of the rock and roller, and he manages to get the, quote, hot tag, unquote. Which, again, I say because his fans do not react whatsoever. I, lo- I love somewhere in the early part of this match, Bischoff just is pretty frank. He's like, now, look, I know that these guys don't look physically all that intimidating. Right. <laughs> it's like, look, I know that the Rock and Roll Express are a couple of fat sacks of shit these days. Right. But, but they, they used been, to be really good. Yeah, they've been wrestling for a long time, so. <laughs> <laughs> they might not look good, but they're also old. <laughs> <laughs> I I also had a note at the beginning because this is a rematch from June third of this year when they yeah. faced them. That match went almost twenty minutes. I remember that it was brutal. Yes, Ricky Morton dishes out the knuckle sandwiches all before. Oh, oh this is the part. <laughs> he's not just punching him; he's jumping straight up and down and punching them. Oh, and Bischoff yeah. even calls it. He goes like Morton with some. Jump punches. <laughs> it was so goofy. Yeah. So before too long, we have all four competitors in the ring. Uh, while Randy Anderson tries to escort Gibson back to his corner, Arn, who is not the legal man, nails Morton with a DDT. 
Ric Flair then hooks the legs for the pinfall victory. And it's funny because uh, Morton tries to get in the ring, yeah. but it looks like he's just too old and slow <laughs> and can't stop the three count. He's already thinking about that bed back at the hotel. <laughs> just some real gross ring rat he's going to bring back. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just... <laughs> just super gross. <laughs> just tastes like old cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Holy shit, Mean Gene is out again. <laughs> what? All right, I thank you very much, uh, Eric and Bobby. We're going to try assemble some kind of order here. Woman, we saw you. Please leave me. Elizabeth, say something to me. Arn Anderson, certainly we've got to talk about some things involving the horsemen. And uh, coming up, of course, the big one involving yourself, the Nature Boy, Lex Luger Sting against the NWO. There's a time to ogle the women, Gene Oakland, and this ain't it. Because the hourglass has been turned over and the sand is running out on the NWO. The bottom line that we get to is in a short time, you don't get to pick your spot. We saw you out there already. Nobody was there. You picked your spot. Last week and the week before and the week before, you picked your spot. But when they shut the cage and you look into our guts, you find out who's more man. You see, we were in the first war games and we're gonna be in the last one because the last one for you is coming up real soon. Now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, guys like you have now hit and left the building. We won't see the outsiders anymore tonight because that's not the kind of men they are. Well, if you're gonna be a man in a man's sport, you better jump on a man eye to eye and nose to nose and you're not that kind of man. All right, let's go back to Denver, Colorado, the Clash of Champions, Ric Flair. I want you to explain to me, in your opinion, many said that Hulk Hogan gave up to the figure four. Many said it. I heard it. And God is my witness. The Hulkster, Hollywood, Hulk Hogan, look in my eyes. He said, oh, great nature boy. Give up! Ah, quit! You are too much, man! Today, Nash Hall, boys of the NWO, get ready because war games are not in the Big Apple. They're not in Chicago. They're not in LA. They're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Home of the My God Horseman. Woo! Thank you very much. Right around the corner, Fall Brawl. These oh men are going to be involved in war games. And stay tuned. Control yourself. More action coming up in a minute. He tries to get Liz to help woman keep her hands off him, but Liz, as always, is useless. <laughs> Arn yells at Gene for ogling the women and says that time is running out for the NWO. At Fall Brawl, they won't be able to pick their spots. Arn says that the Outsiders like to hit and run, so we know we won't be seeing them again tonight. <laughs> it's safe to let our guard down, even, even for, for a, a second. second. <laughs> <laughs> 
Flair claims that he heard Hogan submit to the figure four at the Clash of the Champions. Specifically, he claims that Hogan said, quote, Oh, great nature boy, I give up, I quit, you are too much man. <laughs> I, how much I wish that were true. <laughs> Flair doesn't talk much tonight, but he's off the rails, and rails is a specifically chosen word if you get my drift. Hey. <laughs> He points to war games and says it's not in New York or Chicago. It's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, home of the by God horsemen. <laughs> he then descends into just straight up screaming as Gene segues to a commercial. <laughs> it just he goes until Gene cuts him off. <laughs> yes. As soon as we come back, we see a young blonde gentleman making his way to the ring. Bischoff says that not a week goes by where we don't see another new international superstar debut in WCW. Now, this guy's Chiron tells us that his name is Chris Jericho. Christopher Keith Irvine was born in 1970 in Manhasset, New York, to Loretta and Ted Irvine, an NHL player who was signed at the time to the New York Rangers. After Ted retired in 1978, the family moved to Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where the family was originally from. <laughs> I'm from Winnipeg, idiot. <laughs> Winnipeg was a part of the AWA's territory, and Chris took an interest in it, but it was seeing footage from Stampede Wrestling's Owen Hart that convinced Irvine to become a wrestler himself. Irvine went to Calgary to learn wrestling in the Hart Dungeon, where he became best friends with fellow trainee Lance Evers, whom he would later go on to team with for much of his early career. Irvine decided to adopt the surname Jericho, which he took from an album The Walls of Jericho, by German power metal band Halloween. After just a year in wrestling, Jericho and Evers, who is now wrestling as Lance Storm, toured Japan. Another year later, he worked in Mexico and used the name Leon de Oro, or The Golden Lion, and later Corazon de Leon, or Lionheart. Jericho joined Jim Cornette's Smoky Mount Wrestling in 1994, where he was reunited with Storm as the Thrill Seekers. He continued to make a name for himself in Japan where he wrestled mainly in the war promotion, often with Gato, the current booker of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Ah. In 1995, Mick Foley saw a match of Jericho's against Ultimo Dragon in WAR and gave the tape to Paul Heyman. That, along with recommendations from Chris Benoit and Dave Meltzer, convinced Heyman to bring in Jericho. Jericho began to work at ECW in March where he defeated Mick Foley's Cactus Jack in his first match with the company. Oh, nice. While working for ECW, Jericho learned about the World Peace Festival. Do you remember that at all? Antonio Noki did like this thing in LA and invited every federation to participate. Yeah, I made I made a note of that in here. Jericho wanted to get on the show as a tryout for New Japan, but at a party held prior to the show, Chris Benoit introduced Jericho to Eric Bischoff. According to Jericho, Bischoff cut right to the point, saying that he'd seen the same tape of the Ultimo Dragon match that caused Foley to go to Heyman, and that that performance, along with an endorsement from Benoit, was enough for Eric to sign Jericho to a WCW contract. In his first book, A Lion's Tale, Jericho describes meeting with Bischoff to negotiate a contract. Eric told Jericho that he thought he could be WCW's version of Shawn Michaels, but also that he wanted to start Jericho off in a big feud against Brad Armstrong. Ah. <laughs> Mixed messages, let's say. <laughs> Bischoff then asked Jericho what he wanted for salary, and Jericho threw out $100,000, thinking it was an absurd amount that Bischoff would never agree to. Bischoff's counteroffer was $135,000. <laughs> 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 
because that's what he paid guys like Eddie Malenko and Benoit, and he figured that Jericho would be at their level. Then Bischoff figured that since Jericho would need to move to Atlanta, he'd throw in another $30,000 a year. Damn. <laughs> so when you hear these stories about Jericho, or excuse me, about Bischoff just flinging around Ted Turner's money, mm-hmm. there seems to be some real goddamn truth to that, because... Right negotiating against himself he just lost sixty five thousand dollars a year <laughs> that's ridiculous <laughs> now this is jericho's televised debut but he actually had already participated in television tapings just a few days before this uh with his first match being against jl that uh jericho felt pretty good about but in his book he says that he was told that he had stunk up the joint but it sounds like it was a lot of the just toxic WCW environment where they're just trying to kill any young person's confidence. Right. (laughs) His music here is a generic track from the Turner Library, which Jericho claims to have heard once uh, on TBS in the background of basketball highlights. (laughs) Sweet. Alex Wright is out next, and he glad hands his way down to the ring. The bell rings, and the two young babyfaces shake hands. Eric tells us that Jericho is from Canada and that he saw him wrestling in Los Angeles a while back. Yeah, that that I looked that up to find out what that was. Oh, I see. And that was the World Peace Festival where he had a, a triple threat elimination match between him, Conan, and Bam Bam Bigelow. That, Ooh, that's an interesting contrast. Yeah, and uh, Conan, I think he pinned Bam Bam, then later pinned Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, he did. They lock up and Jericho gets on a side headlock. Coming off the ropes, Wright leapfrogs Jericho, but Jericho follows with a hip toss, but then Alex Wright follows with one of his own and a head scissors takeover. Both men go for drop kicks and are quick back to their feet, and Jericho gets the crowd to applaud. They lock up again and do some chain wrestling. Jericho keeps a hammerlock on for a bit and hits a nice suplex while keeping the hammerlock applied. Jericho notably even asks Randy Eller to ask Wright if he gives up. The classic Jericho, ask him. Yep. I, I, I was amazed to see he was doing that this early. I love I love the fact that in his debut, you get like classic yeah. vintage Chris Jericho. Wright fights out, gets a nice suplex of his own, and locks on an armbar. Wright eats an elbow and ends up on the ring apron. Jericho gets a springboard dropkick that sends the young German out to the floor. Alex Wright gets back on the apron, and Jericho suplexes him into the ring for one. Bischoff drones on for, like, minutes, it feels like, about how your hips should be swiveling when you're kicking in martial arts. Hmm. Did you catch any of that? Nope. He talks about it forever. I I missed that part. It's basically designed so that you know that Eric Bischoff knows about martial arts. Ah, okay. Jericho comes off the top rope, but Wright catches him with a huge dropkick, followed by a crossbody for two. European uppercuts send Jericho into a corner, but Wright misses an elbow, and Jericho takes over. Jericho hits a clothesline in a corner. That was like a wall of Jericho there, says Eric. (laughs) Wow, wow. (laughs) Slow clap (laughs) for that. Jericho misses a corner splash and tumbles to the floor. Wright heads to the top rope and comes down, but Jericho dodges, and Wright goes into the guardrail, supposedly head first. He's kayfabe injured, and Randy Eller counts him out, but Jericho tells the ref that he doesn't want to win that way. Eller relays this to Penzer, who announces to the crowd, Chris Jericho does not want to win this way. The result of the match is a no contest. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird way to, to announce a finish. What a wimp, yells Heenan, and the crowd boos. <laughs> Eric tries to get this over, but this is just the wrong decade for this story. Uh, Jericho, in, in that book I mentioned, A Lion's Tale, he says like, 
as soon as he got this finish, he was like, oh, no, like, right. this is terrible. <laughs> and he mentioned specifically the way that he kind of got buried on commentary by Bobby after. And he's just like, yeah, I don't I don't know what they expected. Like, it's just this not it's not going to work in 96. Yeah. All right. Let's get uh, Alex Wright back up on his feet. Chris Jericho, what you've just done here in front of a national television audience, I must say, your first appearance at World Championship Wrestling, and it was a breath of fresh air. Mean Gene, when I came to World Championship Wrestling, I came here to fight to the best of my ability, and to accept a victory over this man like that is not the best of my ability. I have a lot of respect for Alex Wright, and I wasn't gonna take him out like that, but there's somebody who might have taken a victory like that? Someone I used to admire, and that would be Hulk Hogan and the rest of the NWO. And I tell you, that me and Alex are gonna fight with all our hearts for WCW! Thank you very much. Uh, uh, we are out of time, Alex. Maybe you can just get back to the locker room and, and try to get your wits together. We've got more Nitro when we come back here on TNT. Mean Gene joins Jericho and Alex Wright outside the ring and asks Jericho about forfeiting a victory uh, he's just sort of very complimentary of, of young Jericho's morals while he asks him. Yeah, in Okerlund's defense, he he realizes, like, this is supposed to make him look honorable. Oh, sure. Don't make it sound like that he's a, an idiot or a loser or something like that. So I felt like he did a really good job of uh, making sure that the crowd knows that he did an honorable thing. Jericho says that he came to fight to the best of his ability, and to accept a victory in these circumstances wouldn't be his best. He then turns his comments to Hulk Hogan in the NWO and says that he and Alex will fight for WCW. Uh, speaking of things that Jericho mentions in his book not liking, he knows that it's stupid for him to come out in his first promo and talk about the NWO. Right. That was what he was directed to do. Yeah, uh, He should be getting himself over, obviously. So, Hoovy should have been getting himself over in the opener or just not talking. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, everybody has. To, uh, when Poochie's not on screen, all other characters should be asking, where's Poochie? Uh, hi, Mr. Myers. Uh, I've been doing some thinking, and I got some ideas to improve the show. I got it right here. Uh, one, Poochie needs to be louder, angrier, and have access to a time machine. Two, whenever Poochie's not on screen, all the other characters should be asking... Where's Poochie? Three. Greg, Greg, just leave them right there on the floor on your way out. <laughs> Alex Wright. Oh, Alex Wright wants to talk too, but Gene has had it with foreigners giving promos tonight and right. just shuts him down immediately and mm. says they're out of time. Yikes. Yeah, you can you can tell right away that like Chris Jericho has like a presence. Yes, when I it comes think to, comes to promos. I mean, it's a cheesy ass, corny promo, but right. you can tell like this is a person that can talk on the mic and is not. I mean, compared to the other guys, like Chavo's been on Nitro a few times, but he still looks nervous as hell. Sure, but Jericho was like, he seemed like he was uh, in his element talking on the mic. Yeah, I think that's an interesting comparison to Chavo. Uh, you're you're absolutely right that. Uh, Jericho already seems like a more kind of confident, complete package. Mm -hmm. Watching this debut, you, you don't get the sense that like this guy is going to be in a lot of people's top ten list or even maybe top five for some people. Right. Not me personally. Um, I like Jericho. I'm a big fan. But you but you don't get the impression that he's going to rise to those heights. But you definitely see like this is somebody who could who could catch on and could be a thing. Um, so it'll be fun to watch his career. I'm familiar that Jericho did a lot of funny things in in 
WCW, but I'm not super familiar with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited, especially to see, because uh, I know that most of those happen as a heel. So I'm excited to see sort of how this initial babyface run sort of pans out and when that heel turn comes. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see how that plays out. We go to a commercial, and when we come back, the Steiners and the Blue Bloods are already in the ring, and here to call all the action is our own Lord David Amantorp. Nice. Yeah, so Steiner Brothers getting the jobber entrance. That's uh, That must be humbling. Well, I think, you know, when Gene told Alex Wright that they were out of time, I think he was like, yeah. we are seriously running <laughs> short on time here. Right. The Blue Bloods, consisting of Squire David Taylor and Earl Robert Ian, have a lively debate over who will start the match against the dog-faced gremlin. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot on Nitros about how there's been problems with the Blue Bloods. This is the first time we're really seeing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rick Steiner decides to help them out by providing the team with a meeting of the minds outside of the ring. Ian took the most offense to that and cautiously enters the ring. Squire David Taylor, unwilling to let sleeping dogs lie, smacks Eaton in the back and says, yes, he should be in the ring trying to face him. <laughs> Eaton, not one to be outmatched in pettiness, shoves Taylor off the ring apron. This is not going very well for the Blue Bloods at all. After a bit of back and forth between the two, Rick heaves Eaton over his head and slams him to the mat. This brings his squireness into the ring, and both Blue Bloods are served up with some Steiner lines. We get the traditional Steiner stance as the Blue Bloods recover outside the ring. At this point, I notice that Scott Steiner doesn't have his knee pads on, which to me suggests either this match is not going to be very long or he's not going to be involved very much in it. Yeah, he uh, has a hip injury. Okay. Uh, if you notice, he's limping. Like uh, At one point, he gets tagged in, and then uh, whatever Blue Blood like demands, like, no, I want to face Rick. It's just their way of like being like, oh, see, he got in the ring, but he, oh, okay. he you know, he was tagging his brother to be like respect to show his brother could do it or whatever. Okay. Uh, when he comes in for the Steiner pose, he's like noticeably limping to the middle of the ring. Oh, uh, so that's that's the reason he does basically nothing in this entire right. match. But it's just like without the knee pads on, it really kind of it telegraphs <laughs> yeah. it a lot. Yep. Oh yeah. So we get more arguing between Eaton and Taylor outside the ring while Rick Steiner has a quick snack of the ring rope. <laughs> so we yummy. Set- <laughs> right. We settle for Squire David Taylor and Rick Steiner as Eric Bischoff says that the Blue Bloods have a bucket of rust, which would be the worst thing to have a bucket full of. (laughs) Taylor and Rick go toe-to-toe until Eaton grabs Steiner from behind. Guess what? This plan backfires as Taylor knocks Eaton out of the ring. Despite that, Squire David Taylor manages to incapacitate Rick long enough to set him up on his shoulders as the Blue Bloods prepare him to hit him with a more civilized version of the Doomsday device. However, Rick kind of counters it into a belly belly suplex, which in reality just lands on top of his own head. <laughs> he lands right on his head. Because, yeah, it's a Doomsday device with a crossbody instead of a clothesline. Right. And the idea is that Rick is going to flip over and land on top for the pin. Mm-hmm. Instead, he just lands right in his head. But because he's Rick Steiner, there's no ill effects from this. Right, in, And I don't mean in kayfabe. I mean, he lands on his head, and it does not seem to bother the man Robert Recksteiner at <laughs> all. <laughs> so so he just he goes for the cover anyway and gets the pinfall victory. So it this match was pretty short, and it was mainly 
about how the Blue Bloods were not getting along. Yeah. The Steiners are kind of just like there as decoration, um, especially since you could tell their Scott Steiner didn't even really bother to dress yeah. for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It was more of an angle than a match, uh, but I enjoyed the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing before I get to kind of the aftermath, I do want to mention is that on commentary during the match, Eric dropped a few more matches for Fall Brawl that I don't think we'd kind of heard before. Okay. Uh, he says that the Nasty Boys, and this this first one is important for what's about to happen next. The Nasties are going to face Harlem Heat for the belts at Fall Brawl. Okay. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Sure. Rey Mysterio is going to defend his title against Super Kalo. Kalo? 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 Kalo. Uh, who we've not seen yet, but we've been told is going to be debuting. And, of course, uh, DDP against Chavo and the aforementioned Mexican heavyweight title match. Uh, So getting on to the aftermath, Taylor and Eaton are now in the ring arguing. Eaton goes to leave, but Dave Taylor attacks him from behind in the two-man brawl. Eaton hits his swinging neckbreaker, which was his old finisher when he was Bobby Eaton the babyface. And this Florida crowd must remember those days because they pop for it. They... Right away, they're they're behind Eaton as a babyface. I guess because he's the American yeah. of the two. The Steiner. <laughs> All of a sudden, you can hear the Steiners and Mean Gene from off screen as Gene had come down. The way they kind of frame it is that he had come down to interview the Blue Bloods, but they were so busy fighting that instead he just stands and watches it with the Steiners. Right. And they kind of do like live commentary on the breakup of the Blue Bloods. <laughs> right. It's really weird. I could hear the Steiner brothers. Come on, Gene, take it. He's going crazy. Get him, Bobby, beat him up. Well, you know, they worked him over so much, it's just unbelievable. Scotty, what do you make of this? I don't know, me and Gene, they're going nuts. I thought they were supposed to be friends, partners. Well, I thought they were tag team partners. I can't believe this. The two of them at odds, obviously. A little misdirection during the course of that match. Gentlemen, put that... Come on, Patrick. Oh, yeah. Get him out of there. Yeah, yeah here's a guy that's going to here's a guy that's going to restore order. Well, what can he do? He's caught in the middle there. You know, gentlemen, I'm going to say in all due respect, at Fall Brawl of the War Games, you're going to be facing the Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Team Titles. I don't think you're going to see that kind of misdirection, Rick. You know, Gene, being a dog, I like to prey on my opponents. You see, in the dog pound, it's the beat of hard times. When you boys get the Halloween havoc, I'm going to be Peter Peter, the pumpkin eater, and it's going to be my party. Ricky's not Halloween. It's Fall Brawl. You know, mean Gene, before the hands in the pen could go hack, hack, that doo doo doo, mean the dog face to a gremlin or training. Halloween, when we get the Fall Brawl, my brother and I are going to get radical, and you are going down. And I like, uh, <laughs> I think Scott Snyder is just like, yeah, they're fighting you, but they're tag team. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> so Ian goes to the top rope and Scott says, they're going nuts. I thought they were supposed to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Bloods end up like shoving themselves right down the aisle 
feet from the Steiners, who just kind of watch them shove each <laughs> right. other to the back. <laughs> they fight as Randy Anderson tries and fails to keep them separated. Gene says that the Steiners are going to face Harlem Heat for the titles at Fall Brawl, but Eric just said that the Nasties were. Wait a second. So I think Gene might mean to say Halloween Havoc, uh, as the plan that Meltzer in the newsletter has said the plan is for the Steiners to be to face the Heat at Halloween Havoc, although we'll see that when we get to Halloween Havoc, that match doesn't happen either. Mm-hmm. The Steiners don't face Harlem Heat at either of the next two pay-per-views. <laughs> Rick says, and I quote, You know, Gene, being a dog, and I'm not going to do a voice, so this probably sounds even more ridiculous, but you know, Gene, being a dog, I like to prey on my opponents. You see, in the dog pound, used to hard times. When your boys get to Halloween Havoc, I'm going to be Beater Beater the Pumpkin Eater, and it's going to be my party. Yes. <laughs> so, even though Gene said the match was at Fall Brawl, Rick says it's at Halloween Havoc, but then Scott immediately corrects him and says, the match is at Fall Brawl, not Halloween Havoc. <laughs> so, who the fuck knows? But like I said, as it doesn't even end up happening, right. who cares? <laughs> right. While I'm quoting the Steiners verbatim, Scott starts the next part of his promo off with, You know, Mean Gene, before the hens in the pen, you go, Ha-cock-a-doodle-doo, and me and the dog-faced gremlin are training. (laughs) And I I do want to point out that it's Ha-cock-a-doodle-doo, which is exactly what he says, and uh, I tweeted uh, a screenshot. That is exactly how it gets translated in the closed captioning on the WWE Network. Nice. They don't write cock-a-doodle-doo, they wrote, Ha ka ga doodle do with each <laughs> syllable spelled out individually. It's an amazing bit of transcription humor. Yeah. <laughs> Gene does that thing where he kind of wipes his nose so that he can get his hand in front of his mouth because he's openly laughing at yeah. this point based on just how the Steiners are when they say things. <laughs> right. <laughs> then he kind of smirks and look at the camera like, yeah, I'm hearing this stuff too. <laughs> The Steiners promise to destroy the heat, and before they walk off, <laughs> this is my favorite part. This promo is so full of chalk great things, but at the end, Rick <laughs> looks at Gene and just goes, Way to go, Gene! <laughs> <laughs> and no one, even baby faces, no one's ever just nice to Gene. Right. So the fact that Rick ended the promo by just telling Gene that he's doing a great job. <laughs> just, <laughs> just want you to know, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Because Gene's a goddamn professional, he doesn't even miss a beat. He's like like mid sentence mm-hmm. when Rick says it. He doesn't even miss a beat. He just says "thank you very much" and then just keeps talking. <laughs> the whole Steiner promo and the fact that they were doing it over the breaking up of the Blue Bloods, I thought this was hilarious. It was so bizarre <laughs> and hilarious. It just <laughs> I can't wait till we get to a point where Scott Steiner is giving more promos on the show. Oh. I'm so excited for that. I oh, yeah. really cannot tell you. Before the main event, Bobby and Eric talk a bit about the NWO, with Bobby saying that if the NWO want to paint the town, they shouldn't mess with Flair, who is the master at painting the town. Eric says that his belief is that DiBiase foreshadowed the addition of another horseman, which, as we've already pointed out, is preposterous. <laughs> right. No one's buying that. Benoit and Mago come out with all three of the horsemen ladies. Horse ladies? Horsewomen? Horsewomen? They enter to Benoit's solo music, not the horseman theme. Eric says that indeed, Dave Wanstat, then coach of the Chicago Bears, did put a call into Mago to see if he would come back to the NFL. I don't know if that's true, 
but it's apparently something Gene reported on the hotline, and Eric feels confident enough that it's true to bring it up here <laughs> in the main event. And Dave Wadstead was a terrible coach, so I could believe that too. <laughs> yeah, Mongo's only two years out of the league, but he he ended like in just like a one year stint with the Packers that I think was not very good. Right. I don't know that bringing him back would have been good for anybody. <laughs> Next up is Sting and Luger out to a man called Sting. The horsemen attack Sting before the bell, and it's a full-out brawl to start out with Mongo and Lex partnering off and Benoit and Sting in a different corner. Eventually, Sting and Benoit end up on the outside, and Luger gets corner punches on Mongo, after which they both stand there with no idea what to do until Luger just clotheslines Mongo (laughs) out of, like, for lack of a better idea. (laughs) Randy Anderson tries to get control as Mongo gets Lex with an atomic drop, and Lex nails him with a loaded forearm. Sting and Benoit finally get in the appropriate corners, and at some point I assume a bell rang, although I never actually heard it. Lex whips Mongo into the corner, and Mongo can't even really run a straight line for the corner bump, I notice. He, like, runs Mm. in an arc for some reason. Mongo picks up Lex and drops him across the ropes, then kicks him in the gut and brings in Benoit. Benoit dominates Lex with clotheslines and strikes. Mongo comes back in and does a big back elbow before leaving again. Swinging neckbreaker from Benoit, and all of a sudden, swinging neckbreakers are all over this show. Yep. That's not a common move, but that's the third one of the night. It's order of the day. We get a leg drop from the Crippler that gets a two count. The Horsemen continue to dominate Lex in the corner. Mongo gets a backbreaker that looks pretty good. Eric takes a moment to wish Kevin Green good luck this Sunday, as Green's Carolina Panthers will be in Atlanta to take on the Falcons, apparently with Bischoff in attendance. <laughs> Mongo tags Benoit back in. Lex gets whipped off the ropes, ducks a Benoit clothesline, and then he and Benoit clothesline each other. Sting gets the hot tag and takes it to Benoit. The crowd in the foreground clearly start looking at something off screen, but Bischoff doesn't want our attention there just yet, so mm-hmm. he claims the crowd is standing for the match. <laughs> but it's like, well, okay, why are they all looking like back into the right then? <laughs> right. Sting locks on the Scorpion Deathlock, but Mongo enters the ring. Sting dodges Mongo and tags him with a dropkick. Outside the ring, Mongo runs Luger into the ring post. In the ring, Sting goes for a splash, but Benoit gets his knees up. Benoit then goes to the top rope for his big headbutt, but he misses. Suddenly, Hogan is at ringside with his can of spray paint. Coincidentally, some fans picked this exact moment to unfurl a huge NWO rule sign, so that was kind of fortuitous timing. Mongo backs up Hogan, who looks very scared of the uh, former defensive end. Hogan keeps backing up all the way around the ring until he turns a corner, and Hall, who the cameras did a good job of avoiding, pops out of nowhere to level Mongo. Yep. Hall's a giant dude to just be hiding out of... It's it's pretty impressive the way he's all of a sudden there. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I wanted to note that, like, you know, the last week, I remember saying how cool Scott Hall looked. Yeah. Now he's on the... The jeans and jeans and jeans look, yeah, which the, is yeah. not a good look. Canadian tuxedo. Yep. Heenan immediately flees. <laughs> the NWO are in the arena. Yeah. Heenan's gone. He also announces his departure, yeah, yes, too. Yes, he He's sure like, does. You're on your own. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. The NWO beat Mongo and spray paint NWO onto his back. The NWO then get in the ring, and Hall gets the outsider's edge on Benoit, and Nash hits the jackknife powerbomb on Sting. They then spray both men with the NWO tags on their backs. Flair and Arn show up and take it to the NWO, winning for a bit until Hogan sprays Flair in the face with the paint. He beats Flair up a bit and then spray paints his hair black, giving him a skunk-like stripe down the middle of his bleach blonde hair. 
And there is a ton of garbage coming in the ring. <laughs> My very point. next note, trash flies at the NWO as they yeah. celebrate in the ring. This mostly affects Sting and Benoit, who are on the mat. Yeah. So they're throwing it at the NWO, but it's all, like, splashing on the mat where the baby faces are lying. Mm-hmm. So that sucks. <laughs> Right. But the crowd is a mix of really fucking pissed off people and people who think the NWO are cool as hell. Yeah. It's maybe 60-40 in favor of booing. Well, I'm not sure. That's just a rough estimate. Hogan tries to spray paint a camera and the NWO walk up the aisle towards the booth. Bischoff flees and the NWO take over commentary headsets. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What they just did... Wait a minute. I got no gripe. I proudly present, yo, here's the NWO. Ready or not, here we come. Woo, woo. How about those outsiders, huh? Oh, the outsiders. I tell you, all Hogan. Hulk Hogan and yet Anarchy! We love to say we told Anarchy. you so. Anything less would be too civilized. I saw that. With Hogan proclaiming, here's the NWO, in the style of Ed McMahon's famous intro for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. Uh, that's a clip that gets a lot of play uh, especially in like the NWO doc that WWE has on the network. They use that here's the NWO thing quite a bit. Oh, okay. Hogan goes around to the front of the table to spray paint the Nitro logo with the NWO letters. The mics get up, cut off pretty quick, so you don't hear a lot of Nash and Hall uh, who are, I'm sure, making hilarious uh, jokes. <laughs> but not before you can hear Hogan run over to one of the mics and say, anything less would be too civilized. Which is, if you're feeling generous, a play on, or if you're being realistic, a botch of his 1991 Right Guard deodorant commercial. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, I was like, that sound it sounded kind of familiar. He's like, I don't remember the whole thing, but he's painting, and then the the like slogan for Right Guard at the time was anything less would be uncivilized. Mm-hmm. But this time he says too civilized. I'm not sure how that's like a joke. So I I'm giving credit that he said that on purpose, but. I don't know, like, how that's really a play on the original slogan. Well, I also I felt like at the very beginning, the Here's the NWO, there was, like, a, a little pause there. Yeah. In which, like, I think he was about to say something incorrect. So I would tend to think that he might have just put the wrong word in. Sure. We see the Horsemen, Sting, and Lex all recovering in the ring amongst a bunch of trash uh, with a doctor checking on Arn Anderson. As the show goes off the air, our final image is actually a slow-motion replay of Ted DiBiase's ominous Next Week 5. And that is our show. Over on the other channel, nothing. It's tennis. There is no Raw this week. Oh, no. Uh, We will get Raw next week, even though they are preempted. They're not on Monday. It's going to be on Friday. Uh, But this week, there actually just wasn't a Raw. So we've only got Nitro to talk about. Dave, overall, uh, what did you make of this week's show? What did you think? I thought it was an outstanding show. Um, I felt like from top to bottom, it it gave a little bit of everything that WCW has to offer. And um, it's it's one of the better 
um, endings, I think, as far as like showing how effective or how destructive the NWO can be. There's a lot of uh, like debuts too, like significant debuts as well. Yeah, uh, we got Jer- yeah. Jericho, uh, Juventud Guerrera, and I thought there was a third one. Oh, Teddy Bassi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, Kidman's been on the show before, but him and Hoovy, I mean, those are Nitro staples. Yeah, you know, them kicking off things is a pretty significant uh, event, I think, in in terms of the you know history, the arc of the show. I completely agree. I thought this show was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, The stuff that sucked, sucked shortly, right? (laughs) you know? Um, And the stuff that was, it's just, there was a ton going on, but it didn't feel like in that Russo way where at least everything was segmented. It was on its own. Yeah. Instead of a ton going on and it's all happening at once. Like everything felt like it had its own little moment to breathe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things progressed. It progressed storylines. I got where we were going for Fall Brawl. Yep. This was just a fantastic show. Uh, in fact, I want to nominate this show to the Nitro Hall of Fame. Ooh. Now, some of our listeners have probably started listening sometime more recently. We have not had an episode going to the Nitro Hall of Fame in quite some time. So just to remind everyone of the rules, it has to be a unanimous decision. It can be nominated by one of us. But both of us must agree mm-hmm. that the show is deserving uh, to go in the Nitro Hall of Fame. Uh, someday I'll, <laughs> I'll go through our past episodes and actually make a list because yeah. I don't remember. I remember some of the matches on episodes we loved, but I don't remember which episodes are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'd be a fun thing to look into as we kind of close in on one year of doing these reviews. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So do you agree? Does this does this show belong in the Nitro Hall of Fame? You know, you can tell that it's one that belongs because I had the note that I was going to uh, nominate it as well. Awesome. So, be, be, especially because when I um, I went, I, I, I always like to reference this website, uh, thehistoryww.com. Oh, yeah. I, I use them as a resource sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. And They're I'm great not, if I don't know the name of a move that happened in a match. Uh, they've got a review section where they've got written reviews of every Nitro. Oh, and okay. I will a lot of times look up move names in there. Yeah, I usually use them so I can get the name of the arena. Oh, sure. Yep. Um, and I just thought it was kind of noteworthy that they had, because um, they list when uh, a match is on a collection. Oh, okay, sure. And they had, there was two different matches that were on collections because the Rey Mysterio was on a Rey, uh, the Best of Nitro. Oh, okay. And then the Chris Jericho was on something that was called Before They Were Superstars 2 which I think is a WWE. Sure, it sounds like it would be. There are significant debuts. Like, Juventud Guerrero is a very significant wrestler right. in WCW. Yep. Chris Jericho, obviously, is is significant. Um, there, like, there, there wasn't any match where I was like, that was god-awful. Right. Um, I mean, Jim Duggan versus the Giant was as what you would expect. And it still had moments I liked, like mm-hmm. Duggan asking the Giant to wait while he taped his fist more. Right. And Duggan just getting leveled with a choke slam. Um, or even like the Horseman and the Rock and Roll Express had Ricky Morton doing his little jump punches mm-hmm. that like, it just, I was just like, even, I just was smiling through most of the show. Uh, it was just a great feeling. I, I wish they could all be this good. Yeah. Yeah. It just like from top to bottom. Like, everything had its purpose. It fulfilled its purpose. To me, a good Nitro will also give some progression towards the next pay-per-view. Sure. I felt like they really went that way. Like, the whole uh, fifth man 
you know, Eric Bischoff can say what he wants. Right. But to- Ted DiBiase is obviously the fourth man. And that the surprise, it's not the fourth man. It's the fifth man next week. Right. And I thought that was this ending to the show plays off so beautifully. Yes. Because for one thing, the commentators make sure not to talk over a lot of stuff. Yes. The fans just going crazy and throwing stuff in there always makes it's it just makes for like a better presentation of how mad they are about the NWO, like running roughshed. Right. You can see why this company became so enamored with NWO run-ins mm-hmm. because at this point, NWO run-ins are fucking awesome. Yeah. And they're hot and they get over with the crowd um, they get praised from like Meltzer talks about what a great segment it was. So like you can see why they are like this works. Let's just do this all the time. Right. Yeah. And I feel like this is the this was like the first like classic run into sure. end the show. Yeah. Because yes, nitros are gonna have. There's gonna be a lot of them that just end with NWO run-ins. Right. And I feel like this is the first one. So it's like kind of a landmark. Oh yeah. And to a nitro. So. Yeah, there's. I feel like there's a lot of reasons why this should be in our Hall of Fame, and now it is. All right. Well, it paid off as we talk about the ratings in our ratings roundup. Again, Raw was off the air, no rating there. But Nitro got a record high 4.3, a 3.8 in the first hour, which is a record for the first hour, and a 4.8 in the second hour, the first time that audience share has risen from hour one to hour two. The second hour was actually the highest rated wrestling hour for a regularly scheduled show going all the way back to the mid-1980s, according to Big Dave Meltzer. Wow. So, I mean, they were helped hugely by Raw being off the air this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's I mean, it's a hell of a thing that they made the most of that opportunity and provided all these extra viewers with a real taste of what they have to offer that maybe WWF does not. Right now, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, the fact that they realize that they probably would have some extra viewers, you know, like the indicating the fifth guy for next week is like, that's a great move. Because it's like, if you're just tuning in this week, haven't really seen us. Look, we're giving you a cliffhanger. You know, it's a huge opportunity to go unopposed for two weeks because, you know, oh, oh, Nitro does get fucked around for the end the NBA playoffs. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that raw doesn't get that opportunity, but I think they do because the NBA playoffs always screw with nitro a little bit. Yeah. Um, nitro is already in the midst of their huge win streak in the ratings. Yep. Um, it's still pretty early on, <laughs> but it's still, it's still crucial that they, they draw those fans because WWF is still a much well, uh, much more well-known property. Right. So, so those kind of moves are crucial. So that will bring us to a little segment that we call, Observe this. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheep. sheep. Now, there are a lot of news stories to go through in this week's Observer, so I'm going to try to keep it quick as we move through. The top story in this week's Observer is a breakdown of the current contract negotiations between Brett the Hitman Hart and both the WWF and WCW. Although Brett returning to WWF seemed inevitable until fairly recently, there is now some doubt, and WCW is trying to make a serious play. Brett is set to work in early September on a tour of South Africa for the WWF, but he is not under contract. He's just doing it because it was something they had agreed to previously. 
and he has no planned dates after that tour uh, for kind of a great summary or like a you know a real behind the scenes look at this i think we plugged it before but you really should check out wrestling with shadows Mm -hmm. uh because they've got just a real i mean it's basically about this exact time in brett's life uh going all the way through the end of like next year but you can see the sort of the early parts of this film are focused on this part of the negotiations yeah and it's that is one of the the very first times i ever saw anything that was like legitimately backstage right and it's it, it it's a little bit jarring. Yeah. Um. I remember at the time it was really jarring, especially like, um. I remember like hearing Goldust in his like Texan yeah, drawl. Yep. Or uh, Vader talking about being like an accountant. <laughs> yep. Stuff like that. It's it, it like today. It, it's still it's like a monumental documentary. And I think you can watch it for free, which I may have mentioned on the show before. There's like a Canadian arts website and i think because the government of canada partially funded the movie mm. uh that after so many years it became like freely available on their website to watch at any time oh okay you know what i've also seen the whole thing is on youtube so that might be simpler yeah that might be simpler <laughs> over the weekend tapings for wcw pro and worldwide featured the honest to god debut of glacier uh, i mentioned that earlier in the show glacier's match against the gambler won't air until september 9th episode of pro and I think we'll wait until a little bit after that when he shows up on Nitro before we really talk about where that gimmick came from, the man playing him and all that. So yeah. we'll get into Glacier at a later date. Meltzer notes that indie wrestler Jerry Flynn got to try it with WCW. And I only bring that up because it was reading that note when researching the show that I realized that Jerry Flynn is not the fake name of Jerry Lynn. <laughs> I always because th- I knew I'd heard that there was a guy named Jerry Flynn. I always just thought that was like WWF forced Jerry Lynn to be called that when he was there or something. Nope. No, there's just another guy named Jerry Flynn. I, I remember Jerry <laughs> Flynn, too. He is a, not a good wrestler. <laughs> well, we got that to look forward to. He was like the WCW version of uh, Steve Blackman. OK. Yeah, he might technically be like uh, a a legitimate badass as far as like martial arts and right. stuff is concerned, but he's just like no personality and just stiff and vanilla in the ring. Back to the news. Some WCW stars are uh, planning to appear on a big AAA card on November 20th in an arena in Mexico city. And I don't mean just the luchadors. Like I think flair and oh, sting and so, you know, they're, sure. they're getting a lot of guys. It's a big AAA show. Mm-hmm. A title change was taped uh, on these recent tapings that I was mentioning that will air on the August 31st episode of Saturday Night. So that'll happen between now and next Nitro. So we Mm -hmm. will talk about that on our next episode. WWE did a big house show in Canada in front of 21,211 fans. The biggest North American wrestling audience since Conan versus Cien Cara drew 50,000 in Mexico back in 1993. Cien Cara? Yeah. So not not Sin Cara. Okay. No, Sien no, Cara. <laughs> I was making sure you were pronounced like enunciating something different. It might even be Caras because I feel like I read that, but my notes say Cara. I feel like I might have made a typo there. Yeah. Who cares? The show was a part of the Canadian National Exhibition, which is kind of like Canada's national version of a state fair. Uh, also, as part of those festivities, about four thousand fans attended a Special Olympic softball fundraiser over the same weekend where they had a chance to watch Psycho Sid win a tug-of-war against an elephant. What? <laughs> yep. Well, 
Dave just casually mentions that in the Observer with no additional details. That's that's not fair. <laughs> well, because you mentioned softball, and I assume yeah. he, he was playing softball. I'm sure he did that, too. I'm sure he hit a few dingers and then beat an elephant <laughs> in tug-of-war. Do you really want to see me I mean, I tug-of-war? Think... Or you, <laughs> you want to see me sock a few dingers? <laughs> I, was tr- I was struggling with that, but you, you pulled it off. According to Meltzer, Scott Hall is trying to set up a deal separate from his WCW deal that would allow him to appear more frequently in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I bring that up because you may remember that that was something he specifically asked Vince for so that he could stay in WWF, but that Vince would not allow him to do. Okay. So we'll see if he's able to convince WCW to let him pick up a lot of Japan dates. I wonder, why is he so in? Is it? Are he they- just makes more money. He just he's like, there's mm. days I'm not working and I like to fly to Japan and make money on those days. Okay. And Vince was like, no, you're exclusively signed to me. Yeah. And that's something because that's something that's interesting to me about Scott Hall is he, he's very open about the fact that like it was a business to him. Yep. He was all about like, I don't care if I lose just as long because like I think that's the main reason why he was never a world champion. Right. Is because there there's so many mouths to feed as far as the world title is concerned. Yeah. If this top guy doesn't want it. I'm not going to bother giving it to him. Sure. Um, so I was, yeah, I was just kind of wondering if the fact that uh, maybe New Japan's like, yeah, we'll pay a premium for a guy like Scott Hall. Maybe that's why. He, I mean, he had success there before. It was just he, WWF wasn't allowing him to go over there anymore. But he, he was pretty regular in there for a while. Okay. On August 24th, with time running out on live television uh, in the USWA territory, a.k.a. Memphis, Flex Cavana, uh, mm. a.k.a. The Rock, gotcha. challenged Jerry Lawler for the title and says that he would leave town if he lost. With about 15 seconds left in the show, Lawler hit Cavana with a chain, and as they went off the air, they just announced that Flex Cavana was gone from the territory. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I just bring it up because I think that is a sign that young Rocky Maivia, Dwayne Johnson, Flex Cavana, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. that he may be on to bigger and brighter things. This, this seems like a really goofy way of <laughs> getting rid of him. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> It appears that Conan is going to wind up as a member of the Dungeon of Doom as he worked as a tag team with Kevin Sullivan on the aforementioned tapings that just took place. Okay. Uh, You may remember last week I said that Mike Tanay was supposed to be added as a permanent third man to the booth during hour two Mm -hmm. uh, starting this week. Obviously, that didn't happen or we would have mentioned him. He wasn't on the show at all. Right. Meltzer says that's still supposed to happen. It's just been pushed to next week. So I guess mm. we'll okay. we'll see if that happens or if Mike Tanay is the new Blood Runs Cold. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe they realize, like, well, if we're going to do, like, a we're fleeing sort of thing, sure. maybe we'll just wait till next week to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you could say that his, his blood runs cold because he looks like a corpse. You could. Mike Tanay <laughs> looks like a corpse is what I'm saying. Uh, corpse. <laughs> is this, is this a god? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes is trying to work himself into the role of the coach of WCW, similar to how, uh, spoiler alert, I mean, I think we kind of already know this, but DiBiase will act more as a manager for the NWO. Right. So Dusty wants to be, like, the equivalent for the WCW side. I'm, I don't think that's a terrible idea. I don't either. I it seems fitting to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I could definitely see like Dusty and uh, Ted DiBiase doing like dust ups. Yeah. If you want. Sure. I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Shane McMahon will be getting married in a few weeks. I believe he's uh, still married to that same woman to this day. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he deserves a break now and then. And lastly, there is another quote. I'm just quoting this one directly from The Observer. There is another outsider on the booking sheet starting on the September 28th show in Columbus, Ohio. Hmm. As outsider number four, uh, which I guess we probably would consider five if you're... Because DiBiase is not wrestling. Right. So outsider number four, assumed to be Sean Waltman, faces Jim Powers... And number five teams with Holland Nash versus Flair and Anderson and Benoit. Dave goes on to say, I don't know if Jeff Jarrett is free for another week. Davy Boy Smith's original contract was up this week, and I hadn't heard that he'd officially signed, but he's currently being pushed by WWF as if he's in their long-term plans since they seem to be grooming him for the tag team title. Whoever number five is has to be a big name because he's going to work a singles program with Sting. So that's what Meltzer's got as far as that goes. And that is the end of Observe This, which means the only thing that we have left for tonight is to name our MVP in our segment of the night. Uh, Let's start with MVP this week. Dave, why don't you kick us off? My MVP is going to go to the Lionheart Chris Jericho. Uh, Like I said before, I thought that he did a really good job as far as uh, on the mic's concerned. Definitely, I, I did. I tweeted this earlier of his enthusiasm coming down to the ring. Um, I also liked uh, getting the, the ask him, ask him ref. We sure. got that too. Um, I thought it was a, you know, it is a really dumb ending to the match. Yeah. But um, he, you know, for a debut on Nitro, in which they're really emphasizing the NWO and stuff like that, the fact that he was able to have a match and also do a promo, mm-hmm. you know, was good for him. And it just. There seems to be a lot of potential in him, so uh, I'm giving my MVP to Jericho. All right. Now, I realize my choice is going to be unconventional, okay. and there are probably people on the show who are better than him, but I am giving my MVP partially based on someone who far exceeded my expectations for the performer and the character. And I'm giving my MVP this week to Mike Enos. Okay. I just He's a complete afterthought to me. But this week he came out, he had some charisma as he was jawing at the fans. Mm-hmm. He showed some great moves in his match. I was kind of into his problems with Dick Slater after the match where they were shoving each other. Uh, so whereas I expect nothing from him and I got a very enjoyable performance out of him, yeah, uh, I will say that even though there are people that were better on the show, your Mysterios, even though you had your impactful debuts, uh, even though the NWO had a couple memorable things, yep. I'm still I'm giving like a... Uh, deserved a sort of uh, above know. and beyond. Yeah, he yeah. just he exceeded all expectations. So, Mike Enos, you are my MVP. My segment of the night, I've got to give it to that Steiner Brothers promo. No. <laughs> just the fact that it started while a team was breaking up in front of them. Yeah, the fact that it included Hakaga Doodle Do, <laughs> whatever the fuck it was that Rick Steiner was saying. Yeah. Just uh, the fact that they couldn't agree on what pay per view their next match was on. Yep, the whole thing was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was definitely my favorite part of the show. <laughs> what about you? There were there was a lot of things that I enjoyed and I will remember from this. Yeah, like uh, JL's outfit tearing. Yeah, yeah. Him messing around with his mask. Um, a lot. There were a lot of mask problems. We didn't talk about it, but Hoobie's mask gets real fucked up too. Yeah, a lot of jobber entrances. But um, I I really like the ending to this show. 
just the whole yeah i mean any time at which the fans are just tossing the garbage into the ring yeah i'm just i i like it it just it's like it's such a different reaction to heels than sure. you see. Yeah. It, and it, it just gives the NWO this, this different kind of aura about them where it's like they hate them, but it's beyond just like hating the wrestler. Right. They're mad because it's like, like, I feel like I got cheated out of my, my whatever the cost of a ticket is because you destroyed the last match. Right. Um, so and that and also like the, that little like, indication of like the fifth member coming next week yeah. at the very end. I yep. thought it was a really great cliffhanger. So um, I would say that my segment is basically once the no contest was declared to the very end that I thought all that played off really well. And you, you got just the right amount of Hulk Hogan talking in which he doesn't fuck up a lot or keeps talking too long and talks about things that don't make sense. Yeah. It's like just the right amount of Hogan talking too. So that that was my segment of the night. All right. Well, we have gone very very long. This was a huge show with a lot to say about it. So uh, I will just uh, wrap it up here by saying that we look forward to next week. Uh, we've got something real special planned, which uh, I'll kind of announce in the next episode that we do what our our full plans are. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to kick off with uh, coverage of the next Nitro, which is of course build as a one year anniversary show uh, where we are going to find out a fifth member mm-hmm. of the NWO so that's very exciting uh, but we with the podcast have some special plans too uh, that we think you're really going to enjoy so it might take a few extra weeks I know you guys are used to long breaks from us anyway right? Uh, between episodes but we've, we've just got a lot of stuff to plan the way that we want to kind of approach this um, but you will find all of that right here where the big boys play 20 years of Nitro. And remember, in your Spanish lesson, next week, it's Ura Carana. What?